Welcome back, everybody, to episode 13 of the Back Lounge podcast. My name is Tank. I'm your host, and I'm a roadie with over 15 years of experience in the touring music industry. And if this is your first time joining us on the podcast, what we normally do here is invite bands, artists, other roadies, and at this point, really just anybody else, and we just have conversations about whatever we feel like talking about. And for today's episode, we once again have another very special guest, guitarist Lucas Gab of the UK metal band Envisions. Now, before we get started, uh, probably just throw it out there that this episode was actually recorded in May of this year. So it's been about a month between it recording and being released to everybody. So there's a couple things in this video that might be dated at this point, specifically stuff about them touring. The tour dates that we talk about in this podcast have already happened. They've played those shows, but they still have a lot of other stuff coming up as well. And I really loved this conversation, man. We get a lot of different personalities on the channel and a lot of different conversations. And this one was cool because it was very honest and open. And we talked about a lot of different stuff. Mainly one of my favorite things was really being honest about what it's like being in a band and like, you know, adjusting your life, whether it's finances or relationships and stuff like that. And I think a lot of it is not what people would think. And Lucas was very honest and open about how it is being in an unsigned band because they are still currently unsigned, which is wild to me because they put out a fantastic album earlier this year. Their full studio album, Deadlock, came out on February 11th, 2022, and it was released from their own imprint, even though it did have distribution by Blood Blast, which is with Nuclear Blast. But yeah, as of now, unsigned band, which is wild because they had so many awesome things come up this summer already, man. They did some tour dates with Spirit Box and Aviana and Ice Nine Kills, and they played at Hellfest. And for the rest of the summer, they've got tons of other festival dates and then another tour. So if you want to keep up with these guys, you can head over to envisionsofficial.com, see their news, their tour dates, support them by buying some merch, check out their releases. Pretty much that's the hub for anything you want from these guys. And if you're watching this on YouTube, I'll have links in the description where you can check out their social medias and follow them there as well. And speaking of where you're watching this or listening, just as a reminder, the video versions are available on my YouTube channel and the audio versions are available on Spotify, Google, Apple, and pretty much anywhere else you can listen to a podcast. So whether you like to see us on screen or just want to listen while you're doing other things, all of those options are available to you. But without wasting any more time, let's just jump into this conversation. It's about two hours. It's got a lot of good stuff and hopefully you enjoy it. So let's welcome to the podcast, Lucas Gab of Envisions. Lucas, welcome to the podcast, dude. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate you taking the, uh, the time out to chat. Of course. Of course, man. Thank you for taking the time to be here. <laughs> So it's my kind of Friday night, this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just nice and easy. Just, you know, sit sit on a computer and talk to somebody on the other side of the ocean, you know? Well, that's it, mate. If anyone wants to talk about music, I'm your guy. I'm like, sit there and just jabber for days. So, yeah. yeah. It's nice when someone wants to actually hear what you've got to say. <laughs> for sure. And that's why I like this podcast is because, like, you know, as as we've talked about, and I know you said you, you heard an episode at least, like, 
we can just talk about whatever. And with you guys, there's a lot to talk about because a lot's happened. I mean, new album, crazy touring schedule coming up, like festival seasons coming up. Like we'll get into, we'll get into tons yeah. of stuff. It's been a, yeah, it's been a pretty exciting year for us to be fair. Like definitely a, what was not something we, well, you know, always hoped for a, things to kind of get the ball rolling with the, the new record, but never expected everything that's already happened and what's like continuing to happen. It's a, a lot of very exciting things going on. Every time your phone's like going off, you're like, you know, ripping it out of your pocket to find what the uh, what the next piece of good news is. It's, yeah, uh, for sure. Exciting. And and for me, you guys uh, kind of came out of nowhere. If I'm being honest, like you know, a lot of this YouTube thing for me has been discovery for a lot of bands from the other side of the world, and you know, um, whether it's UK, a lot from Germany, Finland, Sweden, mostly Europe, but um, yeah. you know it was just it was a wild trip when i first discovered your band because you guys um when when did you officially form was it like 2016 yeah bang on mate it was 2016 uh so we, we've been around the block like quite a minute to be fair um but i think yes yeah, so we formed like 2016 i think we released our first song in 2017 it was like october 16 like me, Ben, and uh, Alex, the other guitar player. So us three kind of met in a bar after like our other bands had split up, just floating the idea of like, do we really want to, you know, be in a band again? Are we like, if we're going to get the ball rolling on something, are we kind of willing to to do it? It, it, it takes up your life, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a huge, huge commitment. So we were kind of like, you know, if we're going to get involved with it again, we have to, it has to be the one, it has to work. Otherwise that's kind of, you know, it's done for all of us. Like, so we always like from day one, it was like, right, everything on the line. And then within a week, we were in the studio recording the first single, which was pretty crazy. But yeah, so definitely a good couple of years. Like, you know, I think, what? so we lost two years to COVID. Let's yeah. you know, take that out of the occasion. equation. Sorry, that's, uh, we're pushing like six years as a band now, but three records, I think three records and then like four singles, which is. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot fairly of work. fast moving. Yeah, it's a lot of work for that time. Did you, did did you and Ben and Alex, did you guys know each other from other bands in that scene? Yeah, so uh, me and Alex have been in bands together for, like since we were like thirteen or so. We lived yeah. in like the street next to each other, so you know we'd always play guitar together. Um, but Ben, you know, he he actually started doing vocals because he saw like mine and Alex's old band play, so he started doing vocals and then we kind of stopped being in bands he was in a band and did really like yeah got really fucking good really quickly and um he kind of came up to us he went his band split up and was like look guys like i want to start a project you know are you guys up to we didn't really know him like we you know we knew of him but weren't familiar with you know his personality or anything like that but um yeah about 16 pints later we started a band and (laughs) (laughs) and then like yeah seven seven or six seven years we're still stuck with each other so it sounds like that sounds like how a lot of bands start i've heard that story where it's like yeah well i think when uh Joachim from sabaton was on here i was like how did you guys start and he's like oh we were he's like me and per happened to be at the same party and we're drunk and we're just like let's start a band <laughs> yeah it's like uh it's like like you know stereotypical like dude we should start a band you're like yeah that's a great idea let's start a band <laughs> yeah and uh the next morning you know you fucking look at your home and account and it's <laughs> absolutely yeah. murder with their uh, purchases and you know, okay i guess this is happening oh yeah but, uh, Dude, it's actually kind of crazy like so before i i started uh working for bands i was i was in a, a band from the chicago local scene 
And it's kind of crazy because it's similar to that story is like, I was in a previous band and I had always watched this other band play all the time and always like, man, I would love to be in that band. And then when they were looking for a bass player, I ended up auditioning and joined. So it was like all the, all these local, all these local scenes are super tight. Like everybody knows everybody and you know, big time. I was, I was said to like a lot of the guys now, like, you know, we've got a lot of peers who are, you know, in, you know, substantially bigger bands than like, you know, we, we are. And it's, it's this little thing, something like, like I try and personally make sure we bring across when we work with anybody is that everyone walks away from working with our band or any kind of like experience with the band is like, oh, you know, that's that band were mint, you know, mint mm-hmm. to work with. And it's like those little interactions that like you say, you know, they probably saw you play at a show at some point, maybe you supported them and they were like, that guy's sick. It's like, maybe that doesn't mean it's not like a big moment to you, but to them, yeah. that could have been the moment they went, right, if we ever need a bass player, he's the guy. Yeah. And uh, I think it's like vital in the music industry. Everyone's always on the lookout for <laughs> yeah. the raw talent. <laughs> Dude, it works the same way with roadies. Like every gig I've ever had, whether I was a tech or merch manager for a band or whatever, um, I've always gotten a gig from somebody else in the industry that remembered me from another gig that when they needed somebody just called. So I have that same mentality. Like it doesn't matter where I'm working, even if it's like the local stagehands and stuff, I always want everybody, whether it's the band or the local stagehands or whatever to walk away being like, that guy was great to work with. And that's the mentality I've always kept. And I mean, even over COVID it's been known. I've told everybody in the industry that knows me like, my wife and I had a kid. I'm going to take this time off to see her grow up and, you know, figure it out in the meantime. And every single week I'm getting calls to go guitar tech for bands. And I'm like, I just, I can't like, yeah, for sure. And it's, it's a good, good position to be in though. It's better than, uh, you know, I'm going like, holy shit. Like that wasn't the, you know, that guy was, we don't want him on at all. Yeah, kind of thing, yeah. so. And to be fair, I know I, that probably sounded really arrogant. Like everybody wants me COVID, COVID, <laughs> COVID yeah. COVID has made it very difficult for tours to staff people right now because a lot of these roadies went out and got other jobs uh, in the meantime. So I, I would guess like probably like 40% of all the roadies that I know in town in Nashville here have gone on to do other things and aren't touring. So when I do get those calls, it's like, Hey, we're in a bind. Can you come out? And if not, do you know somebody because like like big bands are having a hard time staffing people right now right it's crazy like um obviously we've got some stuff going on in europe uh i think starts in like two weeks from now it's sixth today um finding you know van rentals and you know front of house like honestly there's there's a group on facebook called like uk touring crew which is you know where everyone's kind of involved with you know if you need any answers that's the place to go everyone's like just a great community and all it is at the moment is like, has anyone got a nine seater? Has anyone got this? Has anyone got a bus? Like there's so many bands in Europe this summer that simply because people, like you say, people have changed jobs. People have had to find other sources of income that the, now that the music industry is booming again, probably more so than it ever was, there's not enough staff to physically facilitate. And same with like yeah. vans, like half these van rentals have now gone to being like Amazon delivery drivers. Yeah. So like, you know, if you, you know, your favorite band can't make a show because the band's uh, not there, it's probably Amazon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, dude, it's going the same way with like even bus companies. So like I live in Nashville, which is, you know, it's it, a lot of people think it's the hub for country music, but there's a lot of bands mm-hmm. here now. There's a lot of rock bands here. There's a lot of metal bands here. And I think this is probably one of the easiest cities in the country to find things for touring. There's like 
10 different bus and van companies here. There's, you know, five or six different rental companies, like just big names. There's other ones too. And even right now with the, the, how crazy touring schedules are for people in the States, it's insane. Like I'm, I'm trying to help uh, electric cowboy book this stuff for their U S tour. And I reached out to one of the bus companies that I have a good relationship with. It was like, Hey, these guys need a bus for this tour in October. They're like, we're going to need to book it fast if that's the case. Cause we're, we have nothing right now, like 50 Dude. buses on the road right now. They have nothing else that they can spare. It's crazy. I literally had that exact same conversation about trying to find something for these uh, spirit box dates. It was, yeah. everyone was like, you know, if you, they're like, yes, we can get one. You have to book it now. And you know, someone else was like, oh, um, we might have some new ones finished by that point. And, you know, you kind of sat there like, we just confirmed these shows. These shows are a big yeah. deal to us. And it's like, if we can't get there because of logistics, that's going to be, you know, the biggest kick. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, managed to pan it out. I, I feel like that's the situation, you know, like obviously you see you're helping Electric Call, but I feel like you're probably doing a bit of a, you know, a bit of like a TM ahead of the tour kind of thing, you know, doing Kinda. some logistical stuff. Yeah. I but, mean, you know, they, they have a solid production team and tour manager, but, um, you know, them being based in Europe and not touring over here regularly, it's more of like, I'm kind of just being the introduction to a lot of these companies that I know. And then I'm just like, once I'm like, okay, you have what they need, dots, like, I'm going to connect you with them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. But like that kind of thing is, uh, you know, it's, it's super helpful and super useful, but like the amount of hoops you've got to jump through now, as opposed to what it used to be is, is in, like, it's insane. Yeah. Like, I've, I've had many a conversations with the lads, like we'll be trying to sort things out. And I was like, fucking hell, I feel like Metallica at this point, you know, trying to make things <laughs> work every, every day. There's a new problem. And you're like, I remember when we used to just jump in the van mm-hmm. and, you know, it, obviously there's lots of like crazy complications like Brexit and stuff as well and uh, COVID. So for us to even, like we used to be able to just drive into Europe. It was yeah. easier for us to play a show in Europe than it was for us to play a show in like, I don't know, down south in the UK somewhere. It, yeah. You know, it was that simple. Whereas now there's loads more red tape and you got to love red tape when you're a small independent band, you know, oh, trying to... yeah. I mean, just, I had just I, the one of the last podcasts I filmed was with uh, Ali from uh, Bleed From Within. He was saying the oh, same yeah, yeah. thing. They're getting ready to tour, and he's like, "Dude, he's like, I've been sitting here for like two days trying to write out this carnet just to go to Europe because I, I didn't even think about that." He's like, "Since Brexit, he's like, it, it's literally like touring internationally for anybody. Like, we have to have all of our paperwork in order. We can't just easily go somewhere. Like, he's like, it's more of a pain in the ass than anything else right now." It is, yeah, it's annoying. And like, particularly when you're in the UK, like, you nip back and forth to Europe so much. Like, you know, in 2019, when we kind of first started doing European touring, we spent more time in Europe than we did in the UK. And, you know, now because there's, now we have to get this like carnet stamped in the UK and stamped in France and all this kind of stuff, that's going to add an extra couple of hours to the trip each way. Mm-hmm. And then it's also like, you know, I'm not a logistics expert. I'm not an import export, you know, I'm, we're, we're just a couple of guys who, play guitar and managed yeah. to get lucky and people have said come play in our country you know what i mean um so yeah it's, it's a whole new world like don't worry, i do enjoy the business aspect of i guess like that side of it it keeps you busy but yeah I'm, I'm excited for when we uh, get to a point where i can just get someone else to look after it <laughs> That's for yeah sure. yeah for sure man and it's like the the preparation for tours is brutal sometimes it's like you know a lot of people that go to shows they see their favorite bands on stage and 
you know, that's all they really think about. And that's that's all they need to think about. They paid to go see a show and that's it. But the preparation that goes into some of these tours and the logistics that need to get worked out, I mean, it's it's pretty stressful for a lot of these bands until they finally get on tour and go, you know? It's actually almost easier once you get on tour. Mate, yeah, 100%. That's kind of like my philosophy with it. It's like do all the pregame work to make it, you know, get them day sheets down to the T so like when you're actually traveling, you know what's going on and you can kind of enjoy it because you know it's, it's a great experience touring is like fantastic for you know for any well any musician any part of the crew like it's a really really unifying experience i'm sure like you know you'll you'll know better than i will it's but it's something you can't quite explain to someone who's never done it but it's mm -hmm. just uh yeah it's, the, it's literally the best so excited to get back to europe and experience that again once we get past all the uh, past all the bullshit yeah that's a lot of, it's funny you say that because a lot of people, uh, uh, a lot of my friends that aren't in the music industry, they see what we do and, you know, they see our Instagram posts of us traveling and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, this must be so cool. And like, they, they only see a fraction of what we're actually doing. And it's like, dude, there's so much little stuff that goes behind this. Like when I tell people, for example, it's like, yeah, I, you know, one of the last things we did before COVID was we did some international touring and stuff and we, we went to Europe and we went to Australia and people are like, Oh, that's so cool. Like, so like you got to go explore and stuff like that. Right. And I was like, hell no. Half the time when we're in these cities, like unless we have a dedicated day off in a city, it's like I'm in the venue all day. Like as far as nice. I'm concerned, the only thing that exists in Dublin, Ireland is the Olympia theater. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, that's literally all 100%. Yeah, it's, it's it is work, man. Like that's the thing. You get into a venue and it's nonstop. You know, people. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's difficult because you you're there until you until you've loaded out and you're literally sat there in that van or whatever. Uh, that is the moment when you get like a brief bit of time to be like, right, breathe. You know, because there's always there's always something to do. And I think, yeah, I mean, you you could you could be lazy and you could not necessarily do stuff. But those moments of those shows, like the amount of work you put in during those days. It affects the show and it affects everything for you know, everyone's experience, including the band and, you know, the people coming to the show. Yeah. And unless you're a band that has a full crew, there's so much stuff that you guys as band members probably have to do every day too. Like, let's not even talk about the stuff that you have to do to set up for the show. Your load-ins, your load-outs, you're working on guitars. Like, there's media that you guys have to do. There might be radio appearances. There might be, it's like, dude, a band your guys' size by that time you actually have to play a show you've probably already been burned out from like eight hours of doing other shit that has nothing to do with playing music <laughs> you know oh mate it's crazy like that's it you know the first thing i do on a day of like touring you know there's the social media posts to be put out there's spreadsheets to be done in terms of like you know what merch was sold like tracking all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. There's a huge amount of like just straight up. It's just business. That's what it is just straight up like business stuff to do before you even arrive at the venue. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I'm a massive gear nerd myself. So like always trying to make everything as simple as possible to maybe not load in because, you know, racks are a bitch, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but to as quickly as possible to actually get set up and make, you know, changeovers and our lives as simple as possible in that kind of sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a long, long process, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. Wouldn't trade it for the world. Dude, I, I say that to people all the time, man. Like I became a roadie because to be, I was in my band 
uh, the last band I was in, I was in for about three years and we toured mm. all over North America. Like it was a blast. It was just five of us in a van and trailer all the time. Like we had no crew, no nothing. And I quit the band because I, if I'm being honest, I was, I was tired of the grind at that point. I was broke all the time. I literally had like $5 in my pocket at all times. Like there were days where I literally had to borrow like $2 from one of my guitar players to get like McDonald's or something just to eat. And yeah. I just got, I just got tired of just, you know, being a broke musician. So I started working for bands, but all that being said, I still wouldn't trade it for anything. Like I made some of the best memories and had some of the best times. And, um, you know, all of that led me to, to where I got now. And you say you're, you're a gear nerd. And I actually wanted to talk to you about this because, um, the album that just came out in February deadlock, which was fucking great. Honestly, I, Thank you, man. <laughs> when you, when you first hear of a band, I, I don't know if you can relate to this, but when somebody first tells you about a band, you never know what to expect. It's hard to get really excited about something that you don't know anything about. So. Oh. All I knew about Envisions was the two single, three singles that I heard before the album came yeah, out. Yeah. And then when I got the album, um, normally when I get a new album, I like to sit back here with no distractions and just listen start to finish. Like I really take it I in. I like that. I respect there, that. Oh, it's, that's, I, I, it, to me, it's the best thing to do for somebody that's put the time into that music. The first time you listen to it, no distractions, take it all in, you know. Experience it as opposed experience. to kind of just... That's, that like passive listen, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I like that. So I didn't do that with your record. <laughs> like, oh, <so>, shit. <laughs> um, I, I couldn't wait. That was why. Oh, that's even better. That, that's so even better. I'll the record, that. the record came out and mm. I was doing a bunch of stuff back here. I think I was, I was working on guitars or something, but, um, I just turned it on. Even though I was doing other things, I turned it on. I was like, I, I want to listen to this now. And sometimes when I'm listening to music, it's just kind of background noise. But there were so many points on that album that I heard something while I was working that I had to stop and be like, oh, damn, I got to start this song over and listen. Like, <laughs> like immediately. That is awesome. The first track on the record, um, is it 669, is, right? The 669? Yeah, the 669, uh, yeah. Is there, is there um, a, a significance to that number? Not necessarily the number. No, it was... Um... I mean, that song was inspired by a, a film on Netflix called Spree. I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't. It's about, it's just about like a, a spree driver, which is basically like an Uber driver, but he, um, he goes on like a live stream killing spree because he's so desperate to be famous. And that whole song is just about like how social media is like, it's just crazy. Honestly, it's hard to keep up with and it's Damn. intense pressure. Like, so it's, it's that kind of thing of like, you know, what what price would you put on, you know, selling your soul to just have that moment in the, the limelight? And that was it, 669. So it's like, that's your price you pay kind of thing. Damn. That was a, it's a 669 to expose your idol. Like, Yeah, damn, dude. That's, that's pretty <laughs> wild. I mean, that first track, though, immediately is like, it almost feels like a statement on that record. Like, you guys purposely wanted that right there because right out of the gate, it's like, it hits so hard and it's in your face that you're like, all right, that's what this is going to be. It's like, <laughs> it's, it, it's a great placement for that track on the album. Appreciate um, it. But yeah, the, the album was fantastic. I had so many times when I first listened that I had to stop and go back and I wanted to hear parts again. And then I finally listened to the whole thing from start to finish. And there's, 
there's a lot of like bands in the metalcore area that are out right now. And one of the things that I've said many times is that there's it, you gotta if you're gonna be in a in a metal band nowadays, you have to do something that makes people remember you and stands out. Because let's be real, dude. There's a thousand bands that sound very similar in the oh, same man. genre. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, there's yeah. there's so many like. I mean, it's a great, great lane to be in, but you know, we're all, we're all doing the same things. It's yeah. just trying to find something that's slightly that you can take ownership on. Yeah. And you did a great job with that, with the album, because I, Thank after you. one listen, there were songs that I already had in my head that I was like, banger, banger, banger. Okay. I'm going to go back and listen <laughs> again. And that's, that's a, a very good thing when you can listen to a record for the first time and remember specific songs. Um, yeah. So now leading into the gear nerd part about this, um, you engineered the recording of that record, right? Yep. Uh, yeah, it's first. It's the first ever album I've engineered in my entire life as well, which is uh, no way. pretty crazy. Yeah, man. I am. Um, it's like the guys that we record with, um, so Sam and Joe Graves at Inner Sound Audio. So we we've grown up with Sam and Joe. Uh, they always engineered our bands. Like they learned a lot of stuff from Joey Sturgis back in the day. They were they actually lived in America for a while in Arizona with Ben Bruce and. Uh, you know, some of the asking guys and, mm -hmm. you know, they produce one of the asking records. So we've worked with them for many a year. Um, and I've always just been super, super interested in recording music and basically anything to do with music. To be honest, I'm just a freak about it. And um, yes, yeah, so I've, I've worked with them. I know they're kind of like recording techniques and over the years like we've always done, you know, pre-production ourselves of the records and then kind of taking it into them. But at this stage, you know, it was when we recorded Gold Blooded, like I did a pre-production version of that track. And then we went into the studio and re-recorded it. And honestly, not that much changed. And I was like, well, maybe, you know, we started actually trying to emulate things that I'd done in the pre-production, which kind of, at that point, it kind of felt to me like, why are we trying to recreate this when, you know, like the pre-production pre versions of this record, let's say pre-production, the majority of it ends up in the record. Like I track mm -hmm. them as I write. So I think it's the only way I can actually like commit to leaving something alone. Like if it's tracked, I'm like, you know, tracked and edited. I'm not going to go back. I mean, yeah. you know, if I'm willing to do that, it's kind of cements it. Um, so yeah, I learned a lot of like their techniques and, you know, I kind of spoke to them ahead of it. I was like, look, you know, here's an example of what I'm kind of like doing. Is this going to be something that we can, you know, take it from the stage of me finishing this on my computer and then just take the project to you. Like we both use Cubase. Um, so you know, the integration's fairly easy. So is this going to be something that I can then bring bring across to you and we can, you know, mix it from there? And he was like, yeah. He's like, I've, he said that, honestly, I you know, get stems from people who are working in professional studios that aren't this quality. So, yeah, we're in a, yeah. a good kind of light. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was uh, it kind of obviously panned out as soon as COVID happened because that was something that would have obviously you know meant that we would have had to delay the record if we were then going to go record it but it was yeah it was it was quite a cathartic process and also very very stressful because all all of a sudden it's it's on it's on me do you know what i mean like if something doesn't work if you know if i can't figure something out um you know because we're producing it ourselves as well it's it's down to us to kind of figure out the problems as opposed to kind of you know you never get a point where you go oh this bit doesn't really work but we'll yeah, you know, worry about that later. Like, there's a couple of tracks on the record where we sat on them, particularly vocally. We sat on them for 
six to eight months. You know, we started that song first and it was like the last song we finished because things just weren't gelling. Mm. Um, but doing it itself made that, you know, we could do that, which was, yeah, it, it was a great experience. It's something that I probably would like to do again. Like, even if we work like on the next record, if we work with a producer, I'd, I'd definitely like to take the album to, you know, a 9.5 of like mostly tracked and done and then go in, take any kind of like like production notes and then kind of make those changes at home myself yeah. with the guys and then kind of like go from there. But um, yeah, it was, it was definitely interesting. I think the, the big, the biggest benefit of that was the vocal writing. So like um, myself and Alex with the guitar player, we do all the vocal writing as well, which is something that's kind of like, I guess not necessarily orthodox in a lot of bands. Um, but yeah, like, I do some of the vocals with Ben live and we've always kind of had a great like relationship and similar kind of like ranges of, and, you know, styles, I guess, you know, mainly I'm impersonating him to be honest, but, um, (laughs) but, you know, we can sit there because like as guitar players, we can sit there and write kind of melodies in a different mindset as opposed to just kind of like putting words to something, you know, writing a script and then trying to find a way to fit it into this section, we always go melody and like rhythmic patterns first. Um, and that was like, that's a huge thing for us, you know, with, with screaming as well. Like I think a lot of bands, you know, a lot of bands scream and a lot of bands scream in a sense where it's just not musical. Mm-hmm. Um, so having, you know, taking like hip hop influences to having a pattern and having a flow where like, you know, you've got all your music and with metal, you've got so many different syncopated things going on at, all this time you need the vocal to really accent that and have its own groove like if you're going to follow this vocal line whilst you've got something contradicting it you know in the rhythm section or in the guitar it needs to be that good that you're being pulled to want to follow it as opposed to just being like uh it's just mint guitar and we've got just rah 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 yeah you know? yeah um you can just get lost um sorry no no i it, it's fascinating to me because it seems like a lot of metal vocalists nowadays that I've I've either talked to or seen interviews with, a lot of people are very influenced by hip hop when they write vocals now. Like um, um, Phil from Whitechapel, I saw him do an interview with uh, Mark from Cardivox Academy, and he's like, some of my my favorite stuff that I listen to is like rap. I think he specifically mentioned like Three Six Mafia or something. And he goes, he goes, you can hear that if you listen to my vocals on the songs. You can hear the the flow and some of the patterns I do are very they're they're more hip hop than metal. And then I recently had uh Alex from Malevolence on here and he told me he's like, dude, he's like, I listen to so much Afrobeat and gangster rap and stuff. And he's like, that's where I get a lot of those patterns is the vocal delivery from that stuff rather than just screaming over something and i i've i've said it on reactions a ton i love when i hear metal vocalists that are actually going for their their voice might be harsh but they're actually going for pitch and melody and stuff rather than just using their voice as another distorted instrument and don't get me wrong i definitely like some of my metal to just have that rah 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 but yeah it's you're seeing it a lot more that these vocalists are definitely adding um pitch and then you guys do blend like you know cleans and harsh and stuff like that it's 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 really cool man the vocals aren't just another thing on there it's really what carries a lot of those parts i appreciate it like that was it was a huge thing for us like you know ben's 
he's a screamer first and foremost you know he only really started singing on like our first record that was like the first time he was well, the second time he'd actually you know performed singing but you know we were trying to find the perfect balance for us because you know we don't we didn't necessarily want to be one of those bands that's like okay heavy versus clean choruses and like you know at times we can be quite heavy in terms of the, the scream style I suppose that some of them are quite a bit more like death quarry than I suppose like progressive um but we wanted the choruses like in this album we wanted them to feel like not like a oh, okay here's the clean section we wanted to go like wow I'm so glad that happened you know yeah. I wanted the in- the intensity to match the intensity like if you if you're up here all verse and then all of a sudden you get the chorus and it's like down here you're like all right let's get rid of that and get back to here we wanted it to be like you know you you're constantly moving up so when the chorus hits it's like that like thank god that actually happened yeah yeah like having those pushed um it's like pitched pushed like cleans and you know obviously you know the 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 normal thing is always everyone's like you know sam carter's you know definitely a huge inspiration for stuff like that but you know it 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 goes back to lincoln park machine head like you know Mm -hmm. trivium like i remember watching the shogun making a shogun by trivium when i was like a kid and you know Matt Heath, he was talking about it then, you know, he was emulating uh, Rob Flynn, you know, from Machine Head. You know, it's it's always been a staple in metal to have that kind of like distortion on the vocal. Mm-hmm. It's just expressive. You know, you feel that like, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of metal songs are quite, you know, dark. And this album particularly is quite a, uh, it's, well, not a it's not a sad album, but it's quite a, like a, a deep and I guess a, a bit of like a desperate album. And to have just a straight, clean cut, clean vocal would feel kind of disingenuous because yeah, you know, there's there's a certain amount of like emotion and pain that is expressed Dude, by that. Great point. I've I've always thought that too. Like, um, Vicky from the Agonist has talked about that, where she's like, there are so many. A lot of vocalists now have a lot of maybe not necessarily schooling but technique practice where their technique is just really, really through the roof and they can, they can switch between cleans and harshes. But she's like, what I always loved about a lot of these older metal bands. And she specifically mentioned like a lot of the Gothenburg, like mellow death bands and stuff. And then even for me, I, again, when I was younger, dude, dude, the first four machine head albums for me were like staples of my youth dude i can't tell you how many times i listen to like burn my eyes and the more things change and the burning red and all that stuff and there's a certain sense of feel with a vocalist that doesn't necessarily have all that technique that everybody has now where you can feel that emotion and that power through the voice and it's it's a special thing in my opinion like you know i i finally listened to the new um Rammstein uh, single yesterday and there's a part in that song where Till like screams and he doesn't scream a lot and dude I mean I, I right when I heard it I was almost speechless I was like god the emotion and power you you hear and feel in that is fucking maddening like that's what I love smart right smart yeah. writing smart writing and being yeah. like you know using that point to express yourself as opposed to kind of like it just being like a placement of okay we need melody here like they're wrong you know melody is super important there was something Mm -hmm. that we were you know 100 like the choruses on this record cannot be throwaway everything has the melodies have to be earworms you know it has to be something that you're going to want to scream at the top of your voice Mm -hmm. but 
having that kind of like explosion of emotion is where I think that, you know, it, it's the flight or flight moment. Someone's going to listen to it. And if that lands, it's going to be like, this is my favorite song. You know, that's the difference between just being like a, you know, a disposable listen or, you know, disposable singles, which is kind of like a lot of the culture yeah. with metal core particularly, or having an album that, like, you know, you can listen to it from start and end and feel like you've actually learned something about yourself. Yeah. And that was kind of, that was the goal for us that this record, like we've done, yeah, we've done a few albums now. Like we've never, we've not done a, a perfect album yet, you know, and this is our best attempt up to this point of trying to achieve, you know, a perfect album. Yeah. Um, and you guys did great, man. It's a fucking great you. album. And the crazy thing is too, there's so many things about this I want to ask about because um, you guys, are you guys currently unsigned? Yeah, dude. Like, yeah. yeah independent, see, yeah. Yeah, so I, I saw when the record came out, it said it was released by Narrative Records, and immediately I was like, that's got to be their imprint. Like, that has to be their Yeah, thing, so that's right? something that we... Um, so the album's distributed via Blood Blast Distribution, which okay. is a subsidiary of Nuclear Blast. Okay. Um, So Narrative Records is a label that is kind of like set up with our management to release this album basically yeah. it was our way of kind of working with blood blast distribution kind of getting a lot of their resources to help us promote the record um without it being like you know a fully signed fully fledged yeah. deal like you know we, we got a great great opportunity with you know having that option um you know everyone at nuclear blast you know we get a lot of support from nuclear blast considering we're not technically you know, not paying the bills to them or anything. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's still an independent release. They've been absolutely fantastic to us, um, and it's yeah, it's been it's been a cool experience. Like we've released independently before. We did release an album on um, Stasic Recordings, which is like become Modern Empire. That was mm -hmm. like the last record. But then when that kind of term was ended, we you know we did look at other labels and stuff, but nothing just seemed to pan out with the timeline that we kind of wanted for the album. You know, we have a kind of an internal rule that we have to release something every year. doesn't matter. Without fail, something has to be released, whether it's a single, whether it's a record. And because of the way we were doing it, recording ourselves, um, we you know, we were getting artworks being completed whilst with the album still being written. You know, the album was being mixed whilst the album was still being tracked and written. It was, it was super, like the, it was a super long way of doing it, which is like, Strange, but it's also good for us because some of like the earlier songs, which became singles, they're quite you know old songs to us now. But like some of the later ones that we finished, were a lot closer to being new for us as they were for people when we released them. So you still get that like you know awesome love factor. Um, yeah. yeah. But you know, I'm sure you've experienced it when you you know when you write a record and you sit on it for too long, you start to question whether it's any good. You know, you you don't yeah. you lose like. Um, perspective of the work you've put into it and whether it's even you know decent so like to have you know that process kind of continue so we were still writing new songs as we were kind of like going through that process was quite quite nice because it kept like the energy levels up and the excitement up through the process as opposed to being like right that door's closed now let's do the business side of it yeah it's kind of wild because i admittedly that's that's actually how i discovered your band was i have a, a friend that does work with nuclear blast it's like hey check this band out i was like oh is this one of yours and she's like no i was like oh really she's like i mean we we 
we're going to distribute their new record, but they're not a nuclear blast band. And I was like, oh, I have so much respect for people that work at labels that look at music outside of their their stable. Like one of the sure. and that happens um, that happens with nuclear blast sometimes. And then one of the funniest moments I ever had doing reactions on YouTube, which still sounds funny to say out loud. I don't know why. Like this was never <laughs> supposed to be a thing, but I was talking to somebody that's like a higher up at Metal Blade one day and he was like, bro, if you haven't, you need to check out Leprous. You need to do a reaction to them. And I was like, wait, they're not one of your bands, are they? He goes, no, but they're just fucking awesome. And I'm like, that's amazing that like you're pitching me a band that isn't even on your label. Like that shows me that somebody actually legitimately loves the music more than the actual business behind it. There's definitely still some of those people out there. And like, yeah. like you say, you, you mentioned that. So yeah, Leo from Nuclear Blast. Yeah. Like she's amazing. She's amazing. Like yeah. she was, I think she was in the UK seeing, uh, might have been Cradle of Filth or something. Like she was there for a Nuclear Blast meeting. She came like a day early so she could come watch one of our shows. And like, you know, we're, we're a nobody band, but she was like, I'm going to come out. And, yeah, she's, yeah, she's been super helpful to us. Yeah. But, you know, there's definitely people out there who, you know, it just just want good music to be heard and i mean obviously you're one of them yourself mate because you know you do a lot to help people get you know some exposure and get a foot in the door it definitely have helped us and uh yeah very appreciative of that it's a it's a weird well thank you and it, it's it's a weird thing navigating this youtube thing because you know i i've talked about it with so many people so i won't go like we, we won't talk about reactions a ton but like you know coming from somebody who was in a band and then somebody who's worked for bands, it's like, if I could, I would do nothing but like unsigned bands and smaller bands and stuff like that. Because, you know, there's there's something in discovering something that's that's un, relatively unknown that when you find I feel it, like it's, it's yours, it's yeah, yours and it's so good and you're just excited. Like every at the end of every month on my Twitch channel mm. at the last Saturday of every month. We do a reaction stream where people can give me their reactions, but it, it it's specifically hidden gems. It has to have under a certain cool. amount of views. It has to be, you know, whatever. Dude, we have discovered so many random bands that nobody's ever heard of that they're like, this is amazing. Like, how has nobody, like, bands that, we, we had a band the other day that was so fucking good, and I, I pulled them up on Spotify, and it's like 58 monthly listeners, and I'm like, what the fuck? heartbreaking it's like, heartbreaking isn't it like yeah the amount of talent out there there's like you know some bands that we've played shows with and you know the bands do like support you on shows and like you know there's no reason that you should we should be supporting you there's so yeah. many like yeah you know, the, the, the whole perspective of like who's where where people are in the music industry and like the levels of success like you know it's it's hard work and luck you know it's not yeah. down to the fact of you know this band is better than that band so they get yeah. more you know there's you know there's a certain degree of luck and everyone's like journey through that is different but yeah there's so many bands out there who, like a crush like, a band called i don't know if you check this band out a band called asleep at the helm i've heard the they, name uh, dude they're from the uk like we've played a couple of shows with them over the years like they've changed being asleep at the helm fairly recently they just dropped a new album maybe like a month before we did they, honestly mate the record shits all over ours they're so yeah. sick <laughs> They, they're sick. Honestly, yeah, get get that in your ears. Like, I'm 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 literally I'm literally following them on Spotify right now as you're telling me this, just so I don't yes. forget. Yeah, mate. Honestly, just they're one of those bands that, like, you'll you'll hear them and you'll understand because there's so many talented people in that band 
that it's like it's like sensory overload when you listen to it because yeah. it's like as soon as one there's like three mint clean singers in that band three oh, screamers like you know as soon as one finishes like the next thing happens you're like right well that bit was better than the last bit all right this bit's better than you're like oh, yeah just give yeah. up i, I, I mean, remember they sent me the pre-production of it i was just like right cool i can't wait to not write an album now <laughs> <laughs> i mean dude there's there's bands like that that like i i would i considered myself a pretty good musician in my band not overly complicated i i took pride in the fact that i was like a very pocket player it's like i knew what i yeah. needed to play and that's what i did but dude i watch some other musicians and when they play i'm like why did i ever try like these guys are so <laughs> good it's stupid like Mate, yeah um but dude it's just that's so many people like they love their bands and they try and say like these guys are the best musicians in the world and i always tell people i'm like no they're not and I'm not trying to disrespect what you're saying. I'm just saying, objectively, there's no way that this band are the best musicians in the world. The best musicians in the world are people that we will probably never, ever hear because, like you mentioned, how big you get or whether, whether you get signed or anything like that, there's a ton of luck in that. There's a ton of luck. There's a ton of uh, who you know, being in the right place at the right time. Like, I grew up in the Chicago music scene my whole life, like until I moved to Nashville. And there were so many good bands there that never got signed, that never blew up past the local scene. But then other bands that in my opinion, weren't as good in that scene did get signed and blew up. And it's like, it, it, it's crazy. It's, you know, there's, there's so many like, you know, little details that go into it. Like I do know, I'm like fascinated by, record labels and the music industry in terms of that sense. Like I have a lot of respect for how they can make a break abandon like business decisions that happen behind it. Um, but you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of that goes into it, but you know, there's a lot you can do without labels. Mm -hmm. I think the difference between a label now versus, you know, 10 years ago is like, there's no one walking in with a nice big check. That's going to be like, yeah. all right, that's it. You, you know, you, you've made it. I think it's still regarded by, you know, I suppose probably people who aren't kind of wrapped up within this kind of like bubble of the music industry mm -hmm. as like, you know, it, I remember, you know, when we were a signed band, everyone's like, Oh, you signed. Wow. You know, you've made it, you know, and you're like, no, no, we're not. Like yeah. it makes you no know, little difference to us. Um, but the, the difference that I think they can add now, they can add pedigree, they can add a value to the band. It's an endorsement, basically. It's the biggest endorsement you can possibly get, mm -hmm. but it comes at a price. Like It's always going to come at a price, and it's basically whether you're willing to take that price to elevate the status of the band. Um, and I think, you know, there's, there's definitely pros and cons of it, but... You know, at the end of the day, we're all just we're all just trying to make a living playing guitar. So yeah, and, and dude, there's one of my favorite uh, bands like documentaries that they've ever made. Like a DVD was back mm. in like the early 2000s. Uh, Chimera had this DVD called the the Dehumanizing Process, and it was a double DVD of it was like a live show that they did, but it was like a two and a half hour long documentary that they filmed everything from like right when their first record in their words failed um and then recording the impossibility of reason 
And it's so raw and so honest. And the things they talk about on this documentary are stuff that like a lot of bands don't want to talk about or admit because there is a certain sense of when you are in a band and you get signed and stuff, uh, there almost needs to be this larger than life persona. Fake it, fake it till you make it. Yeah. Like people, people need to think that you're a rock star. That's how the music industry mm. works. Like, so their guitar player was like, dude, when we got signed, we thought that was it. We thought like that was what we were working for. He's like, we're like, dude, we're going to be rich. We're going to be able to buy houses. And then he goes, slowly, we realized we're just young idiots because all that money did from getting signed was basically front the first record we recorded. And that was it. Like, and I mean, these guys, they were in this documentary. I think they were probably in their late 20s, maybe 30 at the time, some of them. And like... Um, their guitar player Rob is like, yeah, I still live in my mom and dad's house because we're on tour all the time and I can't afford to just pay for my own place and stuff like that. It's just, that is the reality for a lot of bands, unless you're fucking huge. Dude, yeah. I mean, like we all work full-time jobs. Um, you know, we have the entire time and, you know, we're kind of getting to this situation now where the shows are coming in thick and fast and trying to negotiate that time off with work is just like, you know, you know, for the most part, everyone tries to be as helpful as possible, but we're not we're not good people to employ because at, any, at the drop of the hat, you're <laughs> yeah. going to go, I'm off to go do this. Like, I'm sorry, you know, it, I understand it, I totally get it, but, you know, someone's, when the argument is, do you want to play a show to 20,000 people or would you like to sit on Microsoft Excel? Yeah. yeah. How about you take Excel, I'm, I'm going to go play a fucking show. Sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's dude, not even an option. Yeah, same dude. When I was in a band, it was the same thing. We'd get home from touring for two and a half, three months, you know, and then we'd all go work. I luckily got a job at a music venue that was very cool about the schedule that was like, yeah, whenever you're home, you can do the shows. And then when you're gone, obviously, we'll get somebody else. I had another guy in my band that was like an assistant manager at like a Sherwin Williams paint store, like literally nine to five was just mixing paint for people. And like, crazy. that's what it is, dude. Like a lot of these bands, I mean, damn near everybody that I've talked to on this podcast so far is somebody that has a, a full-time job when they're not touring. Because again, that is the misconception with a lot of bands is they, they assume that, if you're travel, if you're touring, or if you're an international band, or if you're signed, it's like you're loaded, you're good, you're you don't have any worries, and that's just not the case, unfortunately. Not the truth. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like this kind of like line of conversation ties in completely to what the record is about. Like the whole idea of Deadlock was like, you know, we just spent two years, obviously writing an album, but just working normal jobs, not playing shows, not doing any of it. Like we got a taste of normality a hundred percent of the time, mm -hmm. and it's. It, shit don't don't want that do you know what i mean like that's just not some that's just not the life for me um yeah. i think you know we, we'd released two records we're all you know i say we're getting on like i'm still fairly young i'm 26 the rest of the guys are like 29 30 okay but you know we need this to pan out it needs yeah. to work because you know we need to be is that we're at a, a break breaking point of like either it elevates to the next stage and it becomes something that's a bit more viable to be like, okay, yeah, I will quit my job for this and I'll, you know, I'll do whatever I can, you know, lay your life on the line. That's what you do for this. It's a, you know, music has to be a passion. And that's kind of what the album's all about is, it, you know, it's us trying to figure out 
where where we are what what who we are without that kind of part of your identity and figure mm. out how we kind of take this from here to here and i think that's you know i think that's kind of what's helped a lot i think a lot of people who were in the music industry can kind of get that when they hear it yeah. and like you know it's definitely an album but like you know for those kind of people but i think at the same time it kind of relates to a lot of other people because everyone else is you know we're all just trying to figure out who the fuck we are yeah. and you know what do you, you gotta do what makes you happy and yeah and that never stops ultimately i mean dude it, I'm, I'm 34 and i'll tell you right now when i was 26 i thought i had everything figured out i thought i had life figured out i thought i knew who i was what i wanted dude if i'm being honest it wasn't until like the last few years where i really was confident in like who I am as a person and my life and stuff like that. And I guarantee you two years from this conversation, I'll probably look back and feel differently as well. We constantly grow and change and evolve. And, you know, one of the important things I think you mentioned is you said, you know, that's, that's not the life that you wanted for yourself, you know, that normality. And I totally understand that some people are fine with that. They like that stability and security of the nine to five job and just coming home and stuff like that. But there are other people like yourself, like me, that are just basically nomads where it's like, you want to write your art, you want to travel the world and play it for other people. And it's it's just not as easy to do as, as a lot of people think. Now, the recording process, I would imagine with technology nowadays, probably makes it easier to record an album now than you know, 10, 15 years ago. But the touring aspect of it and the, the living off of that income is still very difficult. Yeah, I mean, one hundred percent. Like, I'm under no illusion that even if the band, you know, takes off, that that is going to be my sole mm -hmm. income. Um, you know, like we have a fantastic manager. You know, we work. I, I speak to him more than I speak to anybody in the world. Probably, probably more than I speak to my missus. To be fair, and uh, <laughs> like, you know, we have a great working relationship where you know I kind of handle a lot of the day to day stuff and I make sure nothing reaches him that isn't you know, crucial. And like, you know, that kind of thing is something that I want to move into, you know, or just working within, you know, with the music industry at labels or with management, because it's, it's interesting. And those kind of jobs that the kind of the way I think you can sustain being in a band because, you know, you can kind of like use kind of any experience you have to help other people. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that music, there's definitely other avenues that you can find ways to sustain yourself, but yeah, by all means, I don't, I don't anticipate anytime soon we're gonna be all right, lads. Let's all quit our jobs and sail off into the sunset. It's gonna be, <laughs> yeah. Let's quit. Let's quit our jobs and find a really nice pot that we can write tips on the front. <laughs> yeah, oh my God, yeah. Move, move to Nashville if you want to do that. That's what every band here does. <laughs> like, see, we're, from from the UK, it's not something that's like normal in the UK. Yeah, but I think I think it's something we're gonna have to get involved with because you know. These things are getting, uh, you know, we're getting busier and busier schedules and things are just, yeah, it gets, it's wild. And, yeah. you know, you can only buy so many McDonald's when yeah, you've got no for job. sure, dude. <laughs> we used to, when we were in a band, um, it, I don't think they have them overseas. I think it's just an American thing, but there's this chain called CeCe's Pizza and it's an all-you-can-eat pizza buffet and it's $5. Oh, dude, yeah, let's that go. That was let's a... Go. <laughs> lifesaver for us when we were broke dudes in a band. I mean, there was Let's one down go. the street from where we lived and every day it would be like, 
all right, I think I, I can spend like $10 today. Let's go have lunch at CeCe's. And we'd sit there for like three hours and just smash pizza and just hang out. And like, you know, it's, it's say, like little things. You, like In like band life, you know, true kind of band fashion, how how did you go about hustling that? Because I'm assuming like one guy bought the pizza and then it's like sliding slices across the table. You're all buying no, no, five, no. It's, $5. So, so it's, no, we, we each paid because it's like, okay. it's literally $5.00. And you get yeah. a, a large drink with unlimited refills. You just go up to the thing and fill it. And yeah. they constantly restock pizza. There's like 20 That's different insane. kinds of pizza just laying out. And it constantly just gets restocked. So you can literally go up as many times as you want and just eat. So there were days that we sat right. there for like three or four hours because we were just broke-ass dudes in a band that weren't going to eat otherwise. <laughs> so Yeah, you, you don't know when the next meal's coming. Do you? Seriously, like, dude, I, no joke. I can't tell you how many times we were on tour where it's like, you know, you got to rely on... Um, we did a lot of package tours with big bands, mm -hmm. but the negotiation to get on that tour with a big band was that because we were unsigned and nobody knew who we were, we didn't have a guarantee. So we had to rely mm -hmm. on merch money. And you know, just as well as I do, some nights are good. Some nights can be terrible. And we never yeah, yeah. knew what kind of nights those were going to be. So we, I mean, we basically learned to live like broke ass dudes a hundred percent of the time because we never knew what kind of income that was going to generate at shows. Well, that's it. And like, you know, like you say touring, um, particularly when you're doing like support tours, naturally you, you, you know, your guarantee if you get in one is lower and you are kind of you 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 go into a tour on a deficit. That's mm -hmm. one hundred percent how it happens. Like you'll always have a minus before the number of the <laughs> before you start the tour, but then you just have to use the merch to try and recoup that. And like you know, there's a lot to be said between like making profit on a tour and then like you know considering you know if you take a bit of a loss on a tour, but you've played to you know a couple of hundred people every night. That's that's a marketing budget, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Would you spend that on marketing? Yeah, you would. So, you know, obviously don't take everything that comes along if it's not going to be the right move for you financially and stuff. But is um, there's definitely, you know, you can make tactical moves with it. And I think, you know, particularly when you get to new territories, you're always going to make losses. And it is, it's, it's hard because, you you know, we, to be fair, we all get really into it. We love, um, we love slinging merch. Like it's yeah. probably the best part. Well, not the best part. I mean, the show's the best part, but being after the show get into the merch table we all just hang out there have a beer but that's when you get to genuinely meet people and get yes. real-time feedback it's this like that is the connection like if you want more of a connection from a show than purely just playing that show that's where you need to be dude it's, um, don't ever lose that mindset man because i when i first started out as a roadie i mm -hmm. was I, I was a merchandise manager for years like everything from like club tours to arenas and all that stuff. Mm. And I've worked for bands that do the same thing you do where it's like, all right, show's done. We're going to go hang at the merch table, meet the fans. The fans appreciate that. They see that you're taking the time to meet them, to talk to them, to listen to their feedback. There's a lot of bands that get to a certain point where they just don't give a shit anymore. They're like, all right, we've reached a certain level. It doesn't matter. Like we don't have the to go in The t-shirts will sell themselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're like, we we're at a certain level that we don't have to necessarily care about what's, you know, or, or the interaction with the fans is the point I'm trying to make. Mm. Like, man, that's the biggest thing in my opinion as somebody who used to do merchandise professionally is like, 
that is a prime moment for any band to just take the time, even if it's one member, even if you guys want to trade out every night and like that's the prime time for you guys to just make turn somebody who likes your band into a dedicated diehard fan. That's it, mate. End of the day, like I, you know, I grew up going to gigs. I still go to gigs now and meeting those people and having a conversation to them, a conversation with them is like, it's invaluable because you walk away with that moment and you go like, that's something someone, you know, might treasure. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? That might be the moment that they go, all right, I want to start being in a band or I want to, you know, make an effort with other people. Like it's, yeah, it's not, it's a small place to play. I know you do, you do the same thing as we do. So like I've seen you replying to comments and stuff on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I think like, you know, I, I reply to, if you go on all the singles like that we've released, I've replied to every single comment on those music videos. Yeah. And it's like, that to me is a small price to pay in time yeah. to be like, what well, one to connect with people too. Like if someone's willing to take the time out of their day to comment on a video saying, this is awesome, you know, it, it, it's a two way street in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. End of the day, like, you, you, you know, there's no music without the fan and just having that, that conversation of just being like, I'm glad you like it. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to reply to it. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be anything amazing but we read all those comments anyway we're always there we're always you know involved in it so to let someone know like you know thank you for doing that it's, it's yeah it's a small price to pay and i think um in the last couple of years it's no secret and i'm just trying to leave myself as somebody that does reactions out of this i think it's no secret to anybody that's in the music industry we've seen over the last two years like the reaction scene on youtube exploded a lot of bands are getting bigger than they were because of people sharing their music and stuff. But you see a lot of those bands go to these reaction channels and they comment on the stuff and they share the stuff on Instagram and stuff like that. And just from what I've seen, those bands that do that are definitely blowing up quicker than a lot of other bands because the people are like, oh, wow, like this band actually took the time to come like just recently and this, I, I know there's more bands that have done this, but off the top of my head, like um, I did a reaction to Of Virtue. Dude, they- oh, I, know, I know the Of Virtue guys. We talked yeah. with them uh, yeah. when they were lost in the UK. Dude, that's awesome. Um, I checked yeah, yeah. out their new single and I absolutely loved it. Those dudes went through every comment on my reaction video and talked to people and thanked people. And I'm like, that's a band that knows how to how to- you know draw in those those full-time fans you know you you only have a select few moments like i was like i explain this to people like in a band you get a few payoff moments so you get when you release a song when you play a show um i suppose and then when you like interact with a fan i guess in person but you know you can interact with people online you can get that moment at any i pull out my phone and i can do that in real time there's always going to be someone who you know has made the effort to talk to us like you know those little payoff moments where is it excited uh you know it's like say you reacting to a song for the first time and if you love a song it's as exciting for us to see that as it is for you to hear it like i know like i've, I've watched some of your videos before we obviously you've been discussing about reaction videos and like the, you know the back and forth between like issues with like labels and all sorts of stuff but i think for the most part like i know i'll speak for all of us as soon as the reaction video goes up, we literally sit there searching the band name, refreshing most recent, and we watch every single one and it gets sent to our group chat, it gets sent to our management. We all watch them. We all love them. 
you know, and we'll always take the time to comment and say like, you know, and when you're a creative, when you're sitting there in a room writing something, obviously you're, you know, you're writing it for yourself, but to see someone get the same kind of feeling mm -hmm. that you get, get from something, you share a moment and to, to do that, like kind of not like necessarily kind of in the same room, it's really cool. You know, particularly we were releasing an album through kind of like COVID, you know, COVID times. It, it's essential. That was the closest thing, you know, creatives could get to getting that rush that you get from a show. And yeah, I don't understand why there could ever be I mean, issues with it. I th there's, there's a lot of different things in my opinion. I don't know the answers because I'm not these labels, but... I, I've seen the change. When I first started doing reactions, it was July of 2020. So a few months after the pandemic first was like full-blown started. Um, and the reaction scene started exploding because people were at home, people were watching YouTube, reactions became popular. So everybody started doing it. But when I first started doing them, I mean, I was getting blocks and copyright claims and shit left and right. And... Um, I personally think that the YouTube automated algorithm copyright claim service is a little broken because look at somebody like Nick Nocturnal. He rewrites songs and covers them, doesn't even use any of the original audio, and he'll still get yeah. a video blocked for the original copyright on the song. And I'm like, it's not even the original song. At best, it's a cover and they should split the monetization for um, the licensing, which is a thing that YouTube does. Um, but within the last year, I've seen a lot of labels do a 180. I mean, a lot like, oh yeah, massively. these la these labels and bands see it as, is marketing. And I, that, that right there is not my opinion. That's what I've been told by labels. They 100% mate. We, yeah, 100% is something that we take into account. It's something that we're very aware of and like. Yeah, and this is it. Like the, 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 I suppose, leading on from you know this is, you know, these podcasts and all these kind of situations. Like you know, right now, this is the new form of music journalism, and mm -hmm. I'm 100 here for it because we're having a conversation, you know, as peers as opposed to a clickbait article, yeah. which is like, right, you've got three minutes, hit these points. Yeah, you know, yeah. To have a conversation with someone and actually you know get to know someone and like you find out something about each other and that's like a great thing you know yep. you are adding value to our band you know you know and if in the meantime we can help add value to your life mint yep. i don't see i don't see any loss from that yeah and it's a it is like you said it's a it's a trade-off because like a, most music that i listen to i try and find something about it that i enjoy like, if you go watch every single one of my reactions, there's maybe five times where I've said, I don't like this, but I like the mix. I like the production. I like the instrumentation. It's just not my thing. It's not something I'm going to listen to. Um, yeah. And I try and be honest about that. And I have had people are like, you're always positive when you listen to music. I'm like, because that's the way to approach it, in my, in my opinion. Like, I don't... Who wants, to, who wants to go on your channel as well and you just sat there going like, nah, that's shit, nah, that's shit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, there's, a, there's enough negative stuff going on in the world. For like... sure. And, and there is a sense of like, you know, everybody... A lot of people call out reactors now for just uh, getting excited about everything because they're, they're not being honest and they just think they don't want to piss off fan bases and stuff like that. And there is a sense of that for sure. There is... 
definitely i will tell you right now i'm i'm always honest when i do my stuff i've said many times in reactions again like mm, i don't know this isn't really my thing but whatever um but that. yeah there are a lot of reactors that i know for sure they're like they're afraid of stepping on fan bases i mean recently when i did that video speaking about how nightwish handles their blocks and strikes and claims and i made a point to say organizationally it might not even be from somebody in the band it might be management it might be like i don't know but i made a video just talking about it and i was like this is like in my opinion this is ridiculous because they're posting about how they're the most reacted to band on youtube which is very true a lot of people do nightwish reactions because it pulls in views but like don't don't take pride in that when when you've actively had your publisher uphold blocks and strikes on every reaction that that gets hit with them you know what i mean but dude that was the first time ever i encountered the full force from a, a a fan base that was pissed like yeah dude it was how it did put, you find like re like <laughs> spare the pun how did you find reacting to how they reacted like because i know like when you get that first blast of negative you know in the in like the whole sum it can be a bit debilitating like it was it, it bugs you out and it's like yeah. I, I, we've got it and you know you know, you try not to let it get to you as much as you're like, ah, yeah, whatever, you know, you kind of like, how, how do you approach this? Because going back into it, you're kind of thinking like, it taints your idea of doing something in a room for you that then becomes, you start to have that like, oh, but is this a thing? But yeah. I, how, how was that to you? I, I won't lie, dude. It was, it was a little, it was a little, uh, depressing is too strong of a word, but we're getting into that territory because hmm. it was like, on one hand, I don't care what somebody on the internet says, especially when it's clear they didn't watch the video. They just saw that I was saying something negative about the band that they liked and then just went in at me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, my wife noticed. Like that night, after that video was posted, it put me in a mental funk. And my wife was like, you seem out of it. And I'm just like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm having people on the internet tell me to kill myself right now because I said something about yeah. the band that they like, you know what I mean? And as much as, like I said, I don't care, it's the internet, whatever, it does get to you. And I find it fascinating that I won't speak for everybody, but I think a lot of people can relate. But for me, we I see so much positivity on my channel and in my community on YouTube. And when I get those negatives, for some reason, the negatives are so much stronger than those positives. And that's what I latch onto for whatever reason. The positives outweigh the negatives 100 to 1. But when I get that one shitty comment from somebody, I'm, I just sit here and go, what the fuck? Like, you know what yeah, I mean? I, I, I tell you, I tell, it, it just weighs heavier, doesn't it? It's, it's a strange thing. Like, you know, I try not to let it, like, get to you. But it's, I think, right, so what you're doing you know, in any kind of capacity is you're expressing yourself and you're putting yourself on the line. You know, it's the same with music. It's the same with any kind of outlet where you're creating some kind of content. And then as soon as like that negative reaction comes to it, like, you know, that, that it can, it can really like get in the way of your flow. You know, you mm-hmm. got to wake up on a morning and go, right, I'm going to go do this. But then that is that little nagging thing. You're like, oh, man, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's yeah, it, it, it don't mean shit. And I no, think you know a lot of those people. They say they're not even paying attention. And I mean, I guess everyone's entitled to their opinion. But personally, if you you know, 
I've I've never in my life sat there and gone, so what? I'm gonna go ruin someone's day and just like <laughs> yeah. fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like I just I don't I don't know where some people get off. Like fair enough, you if they think they're de- defending their opinion, yeah. but whatever, man. Well, it's yeah. like what what Mike Tyson said recently. He's like the internet has made people so comfortable to feel like they can say whatever they want without getting punched in the face for it. Like, you know <laughs> I, what I love mean? that. Cause we, love that. a lot of us reactors talk. I actually <laughs> recently went out of my way. I started a discord server and I invited like every other YouTuber that does music related stuff just to, just to like, sick. yo, let's, let's get to know each other. We're all doing the same kind of stuff. Not a lot of people do this or get how this works. So this is a place that we can all talk and vent to each other and stuff like that. And it, it just, it's, it's funny to hear some of the stories from other people because of, you know, I could, I could sit on a video or a live stream and somebody can be like, Hey, do you like, I don't know, insert any band's name, whatever. Do you like this band or who do you like more, this band or this band? And I'll say the first band and they're like, Oh, so you hate the other band. I'm like, I didn't say that. Looking for you problems, did. man. Yeah. Just yeah. literally gunning for it. Like some, it's a loaded question in it. Yeah. That's the thing. Some people like, you know, if, some people just want to watch the world burn. They're literally just, <laughs> yeah. it's honestly, man, like if that's what you want to do with your days, then sick, I'm going to make some music and have a fucking good time. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever, and, man. We, <laughs> and we all agree. Like we've talked about this so much on this discord server. It's like, do you think if, if any of these people that are saying this shitty stuff saw us in public, they would say it to us? And everybody's like, no, Hell of course no. they wouldn't. Hell. Like They'd see they'd see in public and they'd probably ask for a photo, literally. <laughs> yeah. They'd be like, oh, yeah, I'll tank you. Yeah, let's get this picture. Yeah. Dude, yeah, it's it's I crazy. Mean, yeah, it's, it's wild, man. But, you know, it is what it is. It's like when I started doing YouTube and Twitch, it's like, I, I know how ruthless the internet can be. I know, I know very well that I was going to put myself out there for people mm. to say whatever dumb shit thing they want to. And I don't, and whatever, you know, I try and let it roll off the best I can and that's what it is. But um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just an interesting thing, man. It's I mean, all good. It's all good fun. And it like, yeah, it's, it's, it's all part of the, uh, it's all part of the job, unfortunately, isn't it? Like it, no matter, you know, kind of what you do, it's just like, you know, we, to be fair, work I quite good with, getting a lot mostly positive feedback but i think that's just a, a sign of like the band yet needing to get a little bit more exposure because it's mm-hmm. like the bigger the wider your audience is at the moment either we're just doing a great job marketing to the people that will like our music or we're just not hitting that super broad audience so you know we, we don't get too many of the um you know or the community, slaughter. yeah, or the community that's built up around your fan base is just mature and handles themselves well. Because for the most part, like I said, the community on my YouTube channel is great. Like I don't really mm. get a lot of those kind of comments, but when I do, it's just like, dude, my favorite is when people hate something so much that they go out of their way to attack it. I have a guy that is on my. I don't know him. He's never been on my Discord, but there's a guy that every video I post. Almost every video I post, he comments and just talks shit about Sabaton. Even if it's not a Sabaton video, I was like, so you hate this band so much for whatever reason that like you feel the urge to just comment everywhere how shit they are. <laughs> like he's like what? he thinks he thinks you're like an ambassador for yeah. Sabaton that he must like also let you know. <laughs> and the other thing, the wow. other thing that people don't understand is how much privileged information we have 
that we respectfully don't say out loud. So going back to that Nightwish video, I didn't, nothing I said in that video was really opinion. A lot of the stuff I said in that video was stuff that I have been told by people with connections to them in the industry, people that know things, but they were private conversations. I'm not outing people like, and that's the other thing is with reaction videos. It's like a lot of people that hate reactors are like, you're stealing this band's music and you're trying to get, you know, get popular off of it. I was like, this band asked me to do this reaction. Like they don't know that, yeah. you know, they, a lot of yeah. people don't know that bands and labels are talking to reactors now and asking them if they have the time to do reactions to new stuff. So. That's it. I mean, and it's, it's a human element, you know, like I think people can watch reactions and they get to also kind of gauge another person's opinion of it in real time whilst they experience it. So it's, it's a good, it's a good platform. And no matter what anyone says, like, you know, the, for the most part, particularly for bands like us, it does wonders and it really helps us kind of grow. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're massively appreciative of that. For and, sure, uh, yeah, don't, don't let the bitterness, uh, no, no. <laughs> but I mean, the I, bitterness of people. I, I still that. enjoy it. If, if, if I, the day it stops becoming fun, and it's just miserable at all times. I'm just going to shut my channel down and go do something else. You know, I'm still having fun. But, um, you know, one of the things I, I meant to bring this up earlier because, because you brought it up, but we were just having a good conversation. So a, a few weeks from now, you guys are kicking off tour dates. And I was looking yeah, at some dude. of the shows that you guys have coming up, man. You've got to run with like Aviana and then Spirit Box. Yeah. And some of those shows have Ice Nine Kills on it. Are you fucking stoked or what? Yeah, mate. I honestly, I will not believe they're happening until I'm stood there. Like, yeah. So obviously, so we had the um, is it Aviana or Aviana? I can't. I'm not sure 100 how to pronounce. I'm not sure which one two is the correct one. I just say Aviana. I, th I, th I think it's Aviana, but yeah. don't quote me on that. I'll, I'll ask him and I'll I'll get back to you. But um, well, if it's Swedish, yeah, so it we probably is pronounced Aviana. Yeah. So, yeah, but uh, I mean, we've been listening to all their releases as they've come out as well. Yeah. Fucking unbelievable! Like, been uh, been a fan of them for a while because I know they do some. I know previously they've had some tracks mixed by um, Jeff Dune or Jeff Dunn. I can't remember what his name is. Yeah. But he works with. Um, yeah, he's done like a lot of like reamping stuff on some great albums. So that kind of like was how I kind of got an access point to them. Um, but yeah, th those shows are gonna be mental. We already had those kind of locked in, and then these spirit box dates like got announced and we were just like on a whim, you know, just kind of like messaged a manager who's friends with their manager and was like, right. You know, we're, we're literally finishing a tour the day before, you know, whack, whack us on those dates type situation. Cause you know, it's difficult because they're doing a lot of shows around like festivals and, mm -hmm. um, you know, various different club shows, same with Einstein kills. So, you know, unless a band's willing to wait around in Europe, which we're 100 willing to do um yeah. you know it's, it's it's not like uh because there's quite a few days off as well in between stuff but yeah it's it's fucking crazy it's not something we ever anticipated and like two of the, like the hypest bands I, it's gonna and, like, be so good two, for you guys dude like wait, yeah and, and also gonna get to watch spirit box seven times in the space yeah. of like two weeks literally i'm gonna have the best summer ever yeah, I, I was I was looking at those dates and I'm just like, this is, I mean, it's so cool to see, especially, you know, just as well as I do, like the hype around Spirit Box right now. And then also Ice Nine Kills who released, I mean, both bands released incredible albums recently as well. So, <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah. And then, it's nuts. 
And then after that, you've got a, a few summer festivals, it looked like. Yeah, I mean, I don't know when this podcast is coming out, so I don't know when I can actually like say, 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 uh, yeah. I mean, God, given my schedule right now, this will probably be out the f- early June, but just to be safe. Oh, that's, I was going to say, just be, be safe. Right. If you, okay, go ahead. Um, yeah, so like we just, we managed to get a fucking slot on main stage at Hellfest. No France, way. Which is, dude, oh. that is. Main stage Hellfest, the capacity of that festival is 60,000 people and it's sold out. Yeah, that's going to be insane. Sick. <laughs> um, <laughs> like literally, mate. Like, so, yeah, you know, I said to you earlier on about phones just buzzing off and we're like looking at our phone, like, you're having us on, you know, it's just a laugh. Like, in that situation, you know, we're having to buy gear upgrades because we're not actually prepped for that kind of show. Like, it's, it's ridiculous, mate. But yeah. um yeah, so we'll be at Hellfest. Um then the next day we'll be at Grass Pop as well in Belgium. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's turning out to be the polar opposite of a shit summer. Yeah, <laughs> so, like the, the dude, technical term. It's crazy because there's actually a lot of people on my Discord community that when they hear that are gonna be stoked because I already know a ton of people that are going to both of those that have oh, tickets. Min- so that's gonna be well, cool. Don't come see your boys shit themselves live on stage. <laughs> Dude, you know, it's funny how you talk about getting that that news, that information on your phones. I uh, uh, A few days ago, I did an episode that's not out yet with uh, Chris Harms from Lord of the Lost. And they're yeah. going out to tour with Iron Maiden. And I was like, how did you take that news? And he goes, Dude, I'm not kidding you. He's like, our, our booking agent called me and was like, Hey, are you sitting down right now? Because if you're not, sit down. And he's like, yeah, uh, Iron Maiden wants to take you guys on tour. And he's like, "Like, I couldn't imagine getting a phone call. Like, I mean, not even just Iron Maiden. I'm just talking even what you're saying. Like, it's all about frame of reference, too. Because if I were in a band and I found out we were doing shows with, like, Spirit Box, Ice Nine Kills, Aviana, stuff like that, I'd, same th- I'd be fucking stoked, you know? It's Yeah, literally the same thing. I get a phone call from a manager, and when he rings me, it means... Yo, know, like you get that call and uh yeah yeah it's, it's just been yeah it's meant because obviously we worked so hard on the record like and a lot of the time you know if you're not catching these things on the way of the record being released you might have missed them mm-hmm. um but like for us to like catch them after the fact and starting to be like you know we've noticed a significant change in like you know attitudes towards our band already since announcing those dates it feels like all of a sudden because you know because spirit box and ice nine kills are saying yeah we'll you know we'll give these guys a chance like yeah. you know our band was approved for those shows by the band you know what i mean yeah. like it was literally sent to the band and they went yeah cool which is you know for us as people who listen to their music it's, it's amazing like we're like yeah. holy shit the fact that they've but yeah because they're kind of like you know taking a chance on us and being like yeah we you know we kind of want them on these shows i feel like all of a sudden other people are starting to look and be like oh okay so you know that you know they're there now so maybe we should give them a chance as well which is super super exciting that's a great feeling man because a lot of these bands are 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 very involved with those decisions um i don't know if people are really aware of that i mean obviously a booking agent is the one that's going to set up stuff but these bands are very heavily involved and a similar thing actually happened to me when i was in my band we once randomly we got added as a local opener um, for a day to remember when they played around the Chicago area. And this was like 2006. So Full-time like, show that then. <laughs> oh, dude, wow. it was like right when For Those Who Have Heart 
um, came out. Oh, no way. So it was like first record on Victory. It That's was amazing. like clubs and stuff like that. But we hit it off with those guys so good that about a year later, we were on tour and we noticed that we just had, we were basically following their tour. And there were some shows that we were trying to fill in. And we just, I, I hit up their guitar player, Tom, at the time. Tom was still in the band. Yeah, I am. And um, I was like, hey, man, we have a string of dates that we're trying to fill in. And we just noticed that we're like in the same cities you guys are. Is, is there any way we could just play and he's like um yeah like let me let me let me check with our agent i'll see if i can make it happen and a lot of the times you know that answer can be like you know i'm gonna check with somebody else so if i have to say no somebody else said it um but their booking agent hit us up like an hour later and was like yo so if you want to get on like these 10 shows or whatever it was a package with like a day to remember uh, Mayday Parade, Just Surrender, and and then we got added as a, as an additional band on like ten dates, all because awesome. their guitar player just remembered our band and liked us and was like, yeah, sure, let's go. Like that was one of those few moments for me where I was like, wow, like we got added on here because the band wanted us on here. Like that's fucking cool. Yeah. That's it, and like that, you know, that relates to the conversation of like. Yeah, how will you kind of like carry yourselves in those environments? How you're like mm-hmm. turning up to a show, you know, whether you're doing a great job, you're making it easy for the headline bands, you know, you're just being a nice person. Like, you know, you probably had a good interaction with them before mm-hmm. and they were like, yeah, sweet. We want to help you out. And like, I, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for just, just being, a, you know, a good, good dude. Um, yeah. But yeah, well, that was a very similar situation for us. Like originally we got... Um, I think we got some of these spirit box shows and we were like, you know, they were, we were like amazing over the moon. And we went back and we were like, can we have the ones with Ice Nine Kills as well? And they're like, let me check with Ice Nine Kills. And they were like, yeah. And then we found that Ice Nine Kills had another show. So we were like, oh, guys, can we jump on this one as well? They're like, yep. Is that so, the one in you know, is that the one in Belgium? Yeah, in Antwerp, yeah. yeah. Just just I, just just got upgraded as well. Which I is, saw that. <laughs> yeah. Mad mate. Awesome. Honestly. Man. And then yeah. so I know you guys had um, Leeds in London. You guys did record release shows last month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was yeah. that the, was that the first time you had played in a while, or have you done any shows over the pandemic? We did. Um, we actually did. To be fair, it's fairly close to because it was like April. We did those release shows, but we yeah. did a full UK tour in December. Oh, okay. Which was which is super interesting because like COVID in the UK in December was absolutely rife. Like, yeah. Same here. It was, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, we were like expecting the tour to get canceled. Like everything's going to get shut down, but the tour happened. We, we managed to complete the tour. I think the day after we got back, our driver got COVID, which was, you know, which sucks. Like we had a band called Ghost Iris supporting us. Oh yeah. They'd driven all the way from Denmark and they got COVID on day three. Oh. And Denmark is like a 24 hour drive. You know what I mean? Like, probably plus you know um so felt super bad for those dudes because they, they were crushing it they were doing a great job the show was mint and like i feel like they got covered and then we started to notice that like there was just more drop-offs from compared to like even like ticket sales and stuff because people were just you know isolated and obviously getting covered yeah. and a lot of people were, like you know very scared you know rightfully so mm-hmm. um but yeah we managed to finish the tour it was mint it was nice to do like you know a full kind of run again and kind of earn our strikes we bought loads of new gear and stuff over covid as well so like 
we switched to um in ears and all that kind of so it was a nice bit of like teething process for yeah us to figure out what we're doing um but yeah i think we're definitely due a like a full uk run probably later on this year for the new record and kind of play some more of the new tracks from there nice but yeah it's it's, it's uh, definitely it's definitely all exciting definitely really fun and like the great thing is like I'm sure you'll have had this in like you know your bands as well like when you write a new record you're always trying to make it hard like it should be really hard to play because you should be growing as a musician like yeah. so naturally like every time we write something it's always like we want it to be a step up we want it to be challenging to play but all these new songs are fucking well hard to play <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> yeah. which is awesome like I mean, it's great because, you know, it's changed the way like we approach shows. We're like a lot more like kind of serious in terms of like the warming up stuff now because there's no option. Like it has to be done. But it's just exciting for us now because now we're in a, a great situation where I think with maybe like our previous record, by the time it was out, we were like, oh, we're going to play like one or two, three songs off this. Whereas now we're kind of like, we want to play this record. Yeah. We want to literally, like, we want as much as this record in this set as possible. So we're just having a great time, like getting to actually play some of these new songs and really excited to try and get more of like, you know, the new record and maybe even some like full record shows kind of like down the line, which would be, That'd cool. be awesome. I'm always so impressed, man, when I see like, cause when I was in a band, I look back at it now and I feel the this, this stuff I was playing was pretty simple for the most part. Like the band I was in was like kind of in the vein of like story of the year, kind of like screamo type of stuff. Yeah. So we we moved around a ton on stage, but for the most part, at least for me, I know my guitar players had some more complicated parts, but for me, I could go full bore an entire set, 100%, run around like a fucking idiot and do backflips <laughs> off my amp and stuff. Yeah. But, but there's music that I hear nowadays, especially with a lot of the metal bands that are putting stuff out where I'm like, dude, how do you like sustain an hour long set, do like playing all of this and remembering how to play all of this and <laughs> I just, I just feel bad for Josh, our drummer, because he gets the worst time. It, <laughs> honestly, mate, I, it's, I mean, obviously, we're only having to move our hands and, you know, Ben, to be fair, Ben, with his pitch-pushed kind of vocals as well, it's so, like, intense on your voice. But, mm. yeah, we're all, we're all learning and growing, and I think that's that's the biggest thing for us because I think the moment you release an album, whether it's like... Um, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be technically harder, but if you're not growing, if you're not moving forward, if you're not like, you know, writing ultimately better songs, yeah, then you're not kind of elevating. And that was like the thing for us where we, we kind of noticed, we're like, okay, so these songs are significantly better than what we've done before. They're significantly harder, but it, it was, we're a very hungry band. So, you know, we, we still practice like we're all, you know, we're all fairly local, live local the band is our best mate. So for us to practice, it's just a great excuse to see your mates. We practice like yeah. twice a week and we're just constantly chasing some kind of like periphery level of perfection, but, <laughs> yeah. but not achieving it. <laughs> Dude, you know who blew my fucking mind recently? Two bands, actually. Um, I went and saw my first show in a while, a couple months ago. I went and saw Ginger at a club in Nashville mm -hmm. and I was honestly blown away by how impressively tight they were all around i was like and you know from my background in 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 touring and music and stuff i hear everything i know what i'm listening for what i'm listening for tracks or i know, I know you can say i do the same mate if it's too yeah. good i'm like okay so what what we uh, where we pull in the tracks like Dude, what are we doing it was minimal 
Like I was really? watching, I was going back and forth through everybody just watching. Like I was, I was watching Eugene for a while, just shredding the base. And I'm like, all right, that's a hundred percent him. And then I'd look at Roman and I'd be like, that's a hundred percent him. And then I'd like watch Tatiana for a while. And I'm like, there's no tracks in here. Like it's, it's ridiculous. And then I didn't go to the show because our, our daughter was still like six months old and we were worried about COVID and stuff. Um, Lorna Shore played in Nashville at dude at a hundred and ten capacity bar. Hundred and ten people. When, when was this? Uh they won't be playing that now, will they? Holy oh, shit. Oh dude, this was like <laughs> this was like shortly after uh this was a couple months after like To the Hellfire first came out. Like Really? Yeah. And it was the crazy thing is though, the night before they played at a thousand capacity club in Atlanta and then they got here and they're in this tiny dive bar. And I'm sure that's how booking works that far out. Like they hadn't blown up how they did now, but I went to their sound check because I wasn't going to be able to make the show. Yeah. And I just, you know, it's one of those dive bar venues where nobody's checking credentials. Like uh, their drummer invited me down and I just walked in. I didn't even have to talk. Yeah. To like I just fucking walked <laughs> through the front door. And right when I walked in, they were just starting their sound check. And I just sat in the back of the room at the front of house console. And first of all, whoever they had on tour with them that was mixing them was, it was incredible, especially in that tiny of a room. Um, but they, they blew me away, dude. I watched their whole sound check and I was just like, again, one of those, I was like, how do you remember how to do all this? And then I got really fixated on um, Austin, their drummer, because the dude's just oh, a, he's, a machine. He's insane, yeah. And I'm watching him play and it's like almost no effort. He's, he's flying through these kick patterns and these blast beats and these fills. And he's just like, it almost looks like he's bored. He's just like, you know, and then he's definitely one of those mutants and he just do absolute. And then when they finished their sound check, this was the craziest part. He looked like he was like kind of in some pain and he saw me and he came up and it was funny. That was the first time I'd ever met those guys in person. And even uh, like Will, who I have never interacted with ever, like mm -hmm. knew who I was from YouTube. And it was a really weird feeling. He's like, oh, Tank, what's <laughs> up, bro? And I'm just like, oh, this is weird. Um, Sick. But I helped Austin move all of his drums off stage cause for the other bands because mm. I was just there. And I was like, yeah, I'll help you out. And I, I was like, are you okay? And he's like, oh, I've got, uh, he's like, I've had a ruptured disc in my back for like two months. I was like, wait, you have a ruptured disc in your back and you just did all of that? What the fuck, dude? Like... <laughs> Not human. Did that whole tour, whole tour with a ruptured disc. Like it's, it's insane in it. But you, you, you'll you'll know it's that I'm like pretty sure I've seen you say on one of your videos that you've done tours with like you know broken legs and oh, broken yeah. limbs. Like you got to do a tour. You got to do a tour. Like it don't matter. You'll yeah. make that work. You'll suffer through it. Yeah. And it's yeah. It's well, brutal. as a band, as a band member, if you get injured, it's like nobody wants to cancel shows. And then as a roadie, if you get injured you don't want to go home because no matter no matter how good you are at your job there is no such thing as security in the music industry in in terms of working for bands because i could have went home and they could have brought somebody else out that did that maybe didn't do as good of a job as me but they could have liked him more and been like hey we want to keep this guy full time so my third show ever with the country artist that I just worked for for like six years, I broke my foot on stage. It was uh, 
I was walking out to hand him a guitar. It was the last song of the set. Yeah. When I was walking back off stage, I rolled my ankle on a cable ramp so hard that it broke my oh, foot. Shit. <laughs> like, Holy shit. And the crazy thing was, you'll know how this works. We had a show the next day. So I couldn't do anything about it. I woke up in the morning. I looked at my foot. It was swollen and black. And I was like, fuck it. Time to work. And then we finally had a day off and they put me in a boot and that that roadie mentality is just like i don't want anybody else to get the chance to take my job so i'm gonna work in a boot for six months there's a lot to be said about like band and crew like loyalty and like you know mm -hmm. dedication to like that you know we had a similar thing our photographer chris like he's been part of this band since the band started like he's grown and learned and now he's like getting loads of work from loads of other bands purely because like he, he wasn't even a photographer when like the band first started but he's now like you know just crushing it same thing you've got uh his foot absolutely taken out we're to take him to a and e and he was in a moon boot but he did the rest of the tour like that's yeah. it you know you're not gonna miss it you know no. it's uh yeah the, the things you do eh? <laughs> It's like, a, it's like military in it. It's like some it kind is. of like a military dedication. It's almost being, I always joke and like nobody takes this seriously, but I always joke that like being a roadie is almost like a warrior mindset. It's like as much as you guys love going on stage and playing, I legitimately equally love what I do. I love being the person behind the scenes that is setting up all day to be able to provide for these bands to go put on that show does does that make sense like i i it's fucking a shared experience it. in it yeah that's it like at the end of the day the you know without you know the crew making sure that the, everything's working like i mean we at the moment we don't travel with anyone kind of doing any kind of mm -hmm. crew work for us we, you know we have um with people who help you know with like kind of like pat down and stuff who are like crew members in other senses like you know driver and uh, yeah. photographer and stuff but, you know, there's, there's so much work in going into making sure that the gear works. You know what I mean? Like, there's a constant pursuit in trying to find things that are reliable. And, it, you know, having someone dedicated to making sure that is okay, that peace of mind. Like, I, I would love to be able to just walk on stage and, you know, be 100% with the music and not worrying about mm -hmm. the cue is going to go off, is this going to do this? You know what I mean? Like, that is... It's a lot to be said for it and it's that's what that's why i always tell people too like there was a there's a pretty uh popular quote that was going around from uh ian anderson from jethro toll recently where he said that any musician that has a tech or a roadie is a diva because he was like really you need somebody to change your own strings and to set up your amps for you like that's fucking like diva attitude and i was like nah i i highly disagree with that because when you get to a certain level, like we've already talked about, there's so much more going on during the day for these these bands, man. Again, meet and greets, phoners for radio, radio appearances, tons of other stuff that the roadies are there to make sure that all they have to worry about that day is walking on stage and putting on a good show. You know? It, so it, it is, it's, it's a massive trade-off and like, you know, the ability to... You know, also the ability for a band. I mean, it's not something that's happened to us yet, but for ability for a band to facilitate someone's livelihood by having them on that, you know, tour is that's a great thing as well. Mm -hmm. You're getting to share that experience with more people, and everyone's getting to be, you know, a part of this bigger thing. And yeah, yeah it's I'm, I'm all down for, you know, trying to make sure that everyone in like our crew and everyone's also kind of having this. It's not just you know work, but it's it's a memory that they're gonna walk away from it going yeah. like. 
that was you know that was sick that was and awesome yeah and it's funny because there is a um there is a certain similarity between the grind that a lot of crew guys go through with um in comparison to the bands as well so at the at the level that i was at as a roadie before the pandemic happened um i'm very proud of where i got to like it, it paid our bills it allowed us to do a lot of cool things and people look at that and they're like oh shit you've toured with you know these people and blah 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 and stuff like that i'm like yeah but what you're not seeing are the years of really small shitty tours i did where i was the only person employed by that band who worked on three different guitar players gear and the drums and then sold merch and like so there's almost a similar hustle. similar hustle when you're a young band and when you're first getting into the industry as a crew member for younger bands as well i mean dude it took me i oh, i've been a roadie since 2008 somewhere around there and it took me until like 2016 to get to a point where I was actually financially making enough where like, I didn't have any worries in terms of like, can I pay my bills this month? You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, it wasn't like I was making a ton of money. Like I did a tour with, I, I, was, I did a tour with Van Halen in 2012 doing merchandise. Wow. And that was <laughs> one of the years where I made the least amount of, I made less money then than I made with bands more recently really yeah that's insane be just because of the situations and the you know stuff like that so you know there is a certain level of experience that you have to build as a roadie before you do get to that like pay level where it's like comfortable and stuff like that so you know i always whenever people ask me how to become a roadie and they're like hey i want to work for bands i was like well i'm gonna give it to you real dude like you your first few tours you may be the only crew. My, my first tour, I made $50 a day. And like yeah. at the time that sounds right now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but at the time as like a 20 year old kid that wasn't making you, anything when he was in a band, dude, it was like somebody $50 a day paid to be there, dude, $50 a day at the time made me feel like I was fucking rich. Like <laughs> I was so Mate, stoked. It's crazy. Like, I, I said that like, you know, cause all the people who kind of work with us and stuff are like a lot of the time they're like friends that like you know mm -hmm. have maybe not necessarily originally doing that kind of job but have come into the fold because they've got some kind of experience or like they want to be involved and you know because you, you know how it is touring dynamics particularly when you're you know we're, tra we're a traveling party in the moment of about seven people and we're in a long wheelbase mercedes sprinter which is a nine seater and seven people will sleep in that van mm -hmm. you know i mean like it's you know and, and you know people say oh you know you like you said Oh, you go on tour, it must be amazing. And I was like, the reality is, it's absolute ball soup in that van. There's seven people <laughs> yeah. sleeping in this van in 30 degree heat. You know, and if it was any other job, you'd be going, you'd be trying to get to a, a union or you'd be complaining that your human rights weren't being met. You know what I mean? But that is where you have to love it. You yeah. have to want it more than anything. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for. If some people have it in them, some people don't. Yeah. And I think if you do have it, you'll ride it until you, you know, until you've got to get off that train. But a lot of the time, it's normally too late. <laughs> and you can you can see it immediately in people. Like I've been on tours where, as like a seasoned backline tech or something, it's like, hey, we're gonna bring this younger kid out that wanted to tour. Like we're gonna give him a shot. After like two days, you can be like, he doesn't have it. 
Like, and, and what I mean by that is like people are built for the road or they're not. And that, and that's, you can, you can tell very fast with somebody on a tour that wanted to become a roadie or not, if they have that like nomad sense of skill to them or if they don't. It's yeah. It's, there's, there's a lot more that kind of goes on in the sense of, yeah, there's, there's, there's highs and there's lows. It's obviously there's difficulties being, you know, away from, you know, normal life and loved ones. And like, it's part of the sacrifice, I guess, for any kind of musical venture is, you know, there's the song on the record, which is about, it's called Half-Life. It's like, you live two lives. You have to put everything on hold to go do stuff. And you miss so much shit. Like you miss a lot of, yeah. you know, big moments for everyone else. And like, I think sometimes people, it's difficult because people who are like, oh, you know, you miss this, whatever, they forget that it also sucks for you. But it's like, you know, you just guess you've made the decision to pursue this. But when you're pursuing a musical venture, like for me personally, it doesn't feel like a choice. I don't feel like I have a choice. I have to do it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, um, you know, the kind of like the duality of the, the, the dual lives that you kind of end up experiencing. Yeah. That's but, a great point to bring up the, the, the missing things in your life. Like I, I, I can't tell you. I mean, that's, that's kind of why I like semi-retired when I found out that my wife was pregnant, I was like, this is literally the one thing I will not miss everything else. I, at this point I'm fine with like, dude, my wife and I have been married for eight years this year and we have still not taken a honeymoon. <laughs> um, no I, I got home from a tour th- three days before we got married and left two wow. days later. Like those are the things I've missed funerals, weddings, you name it. I've missed it all, but yeah, it, it sucks. It like on one hand, it looks like we, as the people that are touring, it's shitty on us because we're missing that stuff, but it also sucks for us. It's like, yeah, I would have loved to have gone and done this with, um, you know, my wife or whatever. And it's like, you know, a lot of people don't think about the artists either. Like the dude that I just worked uh, for, for the last six years, this country dude, like missed his, when he was young on the grind, like missed his grandfather's funeral, who he's very close with, because it's like, yeah, the opportunity sometimes there's going to happen again. The sacrifices that you have to make to stay on the road, man. I mean, Chad Kroger has a very famous quote where he said one of the hardest things to ever have to do. And I think he was talking about like his first wife or something said, the hardest thing that you'll ever have to do is tell the person that you love most in the world that your music career comes before they do. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, like (laughs) props to, you know, all the partners and stuff who support people in bands and, you know, I'm very, very lucky that I've got like a super supportive missus who, you know, gets it. And it's, it's, it's not an easy task because, Mm-mm. you know, it's, like you say, it, it can feel like there's a third, you know, person in that relationship, which is the band. And it's not easy for them to be like willing to take 50% of what, you know, they deserve, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very interesting concept. And like you say, I think that's a very similar thing to what we're on about, you know, some people, have that ability to live the life on the road and don't, I think it's the same, like some partners are able to, you know, make the best of that. And some, some aren't, and you know, thank God that they, that they are some that are. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise I'm, it'd be very lonely. <laughs> I mean, dude, I had so many relationships before I met my wife where, do you know what it was? You know what it was about my wife? When I told, when I told my parents, I was going to propose to her, my dad's like, 
what what is it about her? And I'm like, she's the first person I've ever been with that's never tried to get me to stop touring and stay home. Every other girlfriend I've had at some point was like, you ever think about not touring as much? And like, it gets past just... that like a uh, short period of time. And it's like, so what are we going to do about this touring thing? And yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, that's, this... that's part of the package. I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it, and the sad thing is in my personal situation is it's all I know. I didn't finish mm. schooling. I didn't do a trade or anything like that. I've been touring mm. since I was 18 years old. If that went away, I have fucking no idea what I'd be doing. Now, I guess I have my answer during the pandemic and we couldn't tour. I started <laughs> YouTube, but like mm. that's that was the thing is like if I ever just wanted to stop touring just at all, say the pandemic didn't happen, it's like I don't know what I'm going to do. I have no I feel idea. That, mate. Like, the only thing I'm good at is music. You know what I mean, like yeah. that that's everything I've ever done in my life has been catered towards, you know, being in a band or being involved in music somehow. So I don't, yeah, there's no, yeah. there's no plan B. There's no like, uh, you know, there's no kind of second chance, I guess. Yeah. And I guess, I guess for people like us that are used to that, the positive is we're so used to just making things work in any situation because you know, the situations we get thrown into in the road and stuff. So I'm sure there'd be something, I'm sure there'd be something I'd fall into, but I, I don't know what it would be. I have no idea. It gives you a good mentality, I think, with the music industry because you're used to getting served shit sandwiches all the time. That yeah. You, you learn to make a light, like, you know, light of kind of bad situations and you also get really good at fixing problems. You know, that's ultimately kind of what you do. And I think that, you know, whether we kind of know it or not, it does transfer a lot into life. You know, there'll, there'll be things like, there'll be times where, you know, you'll be asked to kind of do a very normal task, but you'll do it probably more efficiently than someone else will because you're so used to having a million and one issues because it's a high intensity and like high stress. You know, any kind of like performing, any kind of, you know, even just like theater shows or anything, you know, any kind of thing that's like a live production, there's a lot on the line for, you know, one drop the ball. So there's a lot to be said for, being able to make that consecutively work, you know, yeah, yeah, multiple nights sure. in a row. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many like roadie skills I've, or I think it was Grant from Unleash the Archer calls them hobo skills. <laughs> he's like, when, he's like, <laughs> when, you, when you tour, he goes, there's a certain set of hobo skills that you, you learn and you never forget. And it translates to home, man. Some of the things I do at home when I try and fix things are the same way I would do it on the road. Like I can't walk around with duct tape, just duct tape. Oh, it dude, I have, I literally probably have one arms reach. I have so much gaffers tape at my house for, for like, if something breaks, it's like, yeah, whatever. Let's and fix like it. Fl fl fluorescent cloth tape. You'll see. So like, ah, <laughs> oh, mate, it's, I get so much joy from labeling stuff with like, <laughs> yeah, fluorescent tape. It's untold. Like my missus always takes the piss out of me for it. So what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just labeling some stuff. Like, oh, honestly, it's, the greatest yeah, yeah yeah i mean those are the little meticulous things man i mean you know one of the things i i i love but also hate about working on gear and stuff like that is like there's some of the processes that i hate so much like for example uh soldering dude when we got our new rigs like we switched early before the pandemic we switched from our like tube amps that we were using or the guitar players that i worked for to um fractals we had axe effects threes and i was like yeah yeah really against it because all i knew was tube amps and there was a part of me that was like oh i'm gonna have to learn something new and i'm kind of scared about it but switching to digital was amazing um 
but building those rigs, me and our other guitar tech literally, I can't tell you how many cables we soldered for the patch bays and then the rigs and stuff like that. And I hated the process, but then when it's done, we can just stand back and be like, Oh, it looks so good. <laughs> it's oh mate, it is so good. Yeah. We have a we have two racks that um I built. One's called uh, one's one's Tyrone and one's Rack Miller. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, yeah, like I I love building racks, mate. I'm yeah. so I get sucked into it so badly. I'm like, oh, but if we just get this, like I've just um I've just programmed all the MIDI changes because like we same thing we were using laney iron hearts um for the longest time um we still use laney cabs that were actually yeah. like, endorsed by laney so like we still use um all the iron heart cabs and um but we switched to line six helixes um for the d- digital ease and switching to in-ears and basically as well well the lighter weight and also tube amps are just a bit unreliable like yeah. i remember we we were playing download and uh it was like two weeks before the show, both of our Lady Iron Hearts went and we also had a spare and we were like one amp between two. Oh. Luckily, the guys at Laney were like, right, they managed to, that you know, they collected it, they re-grilled it, they re-valved it and it got it back to us, I think, in like 48 hours. Damn. But uh, it, was, it was insane. Like definitely sent them some like, sent them a uh, care package for that. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> cheers. But um yeah, it was it was just a it was an an obvious kind of move, but now like everything's you know contained to these two racks. We yeah. literally you know we have got two racks, two Enki cases, and then kit and super like. It's I mean, awesome. we can't we can't fly the racks, but we need to build fly rigs. But that's just something for me to get excited about, dude. The fly rack, the the flying part of the digital stuff for me was the best because. Um, when we were dealing with tube amps, like in my guitar work box, dude, I had so many spare tubes and I had to use them all the time because I was, was going to say when you, when you mentioned about switching and you're like, oh, I'm going to have to learn something new. I was like, think about all the time you could save from dude, not, not changing and, tubes. And the fly dates were the big part of it because um, for anybody that doesn't know how a lot of bands do fly dates that's listening, I know you do. Um, most of the stuff you get is, is rentals. You got to find a backline rental company and these rental companies you would think check and take care of all of their gear but they don't most of the time so a lot of these backline gigs that we did where we'd fly somewhere and rent stuff it's like i'd get an amp that clearly has a blown tube in it and sounds or has a blown speaker or something like that so you're you're always at the kind of will of whatever gear the backline company gives you when we switched to the fractals we got um um cases rolling cases made that had little we had um one axe three for a main and then a backup for each person and we had these three racks but we got the racks built so they slide out and we had custom pelicans made for them that all we have to do is like so literally if we were doing a show somewhere like say we were doing a show in la and then the next day we were flying to new zealand it would take me two minutes to pull that rack out set it in its flight case, boom, done, ready to go. Goosebumps, mate, goosebumps. Oh, oh. dude. <laughs> the first time we ever flew with these fractals, we went down to um, uh, Mexico for a festival and hmm. not having to rely on backline. And I mean, I had these out and set up in like 10 minutes. I was ready for a show in like 10 minutes. And I'm like, this is amazing. Digital is the best. <laughs> Knowing what you get and even like sound wise, because, you know, 
tube amps, like, and the same thing, like, if uh, the power um, on a stage is unclean and you're not running like a power conditioner to then the actual tube amps, that can change everything. And, like, yep. that was something we, we used to run tube amps and pedal boards. And, like, um, even with, like, you know, good power bricks on the pedal boards, if the power wasn't clean in the venue, like, we played a couple which were, like, under train tracks. Oh, yeah. You know, it was good, good venue, but if the power's not clean, the pedals don't perform, they're not getting the same way. So, like, and obviously with metalcore, you need, it's all about gate. Yeah. It's all about having, you know, like, you know, two, maybe three gates. We like, you know, run one before the amp, one in the effects loop. And like, if that gate wasn't getting the right power that I needed, it was just sloppy and that just ruined the show. So like to switch, that was the, probably the, the number one seller for us as well to be like, right. Okay. If we switch to these digital amps. We can get these, you know, these gates on lock so that they're doing exactly what we want. And like, you know, even like now we can automate, all the the gates to be removed for pinched harmonics on certain songs. Oh, it's just yeah. Why, why wouldn't you? Why yeah. wouldn't you? One of the things that I love too is that. Um, so I was teching for the actual country artist and then one of his guitar players, and this guitar player had a, a pedal board that we called Boardzilla. That was like, dude, I'm not <laughs> kidding you. It was like three quarters of a meter wide. And like, I mean, dude, it was, if we flew with it, it weighed, it weighed eight, uh, well, I don't know what this would be in kilograms, but 80 pounds, dude. It was, it was massive. Like 80 pounds is 40 kilograms. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. So it's around there. It was, it was ridiculous, dude. So, um, what, one of the things I would have to do is on one of the tours we did, we had a massive stage set up. And there were parts of the songs where the guitar players would go on this, um, like there was like a giant bridge over the drummer and these platforms and stuff. So they're like eight feet above the ground on these platforms, but the guitar player for his lead part, for the reason he's standing on the platform is he needs to switch his pedals. So I'd have to like crawl out there and try not to let the crowd see me and start yeah, yeah. hitting pedals. Like I'd be on my hands and knees, just like hitting pedals. So when we switched to digital and you can program those all in, I was just like, yes. Dude, yeah. I've, I've watched so many of those like rig rundowns and seen like, you know, obviously like text, you know, side stage tap dancing on like yeah. pedals and stuff. Yeah. And it just, it just makes sense. Like, I don't know, um, we, we just use, we still use a MacBook for playback and stuff, but I know like a lot of people use the somatic um, yeah. playbacks but same thing you know, just to run that and be able to get it to trigger cues just straight from like into into an x32 that then patches straight into all of the uh like there's two helixes the same thing about you on about like digitals and like backups so you know we've got two helixes we both play on separate helixes but if one goes we have a backup patch on the other helix which can run two signal chains which is the nice identical clone so you know what i mean that you can do a lot of preemptive backups yeah. with minimal effort as opposed to like you know carrying four amp heads it's, yeah, it's just that's what we did the way. i mean i i did have some switches in my guitar world so for example if the main fractal went down for somebody and i heard it all i had to do is step on a pedal and ab switch it to go to the spare and the spare was synced up with the other one so it was like as, as quick as i could switch it there would be no loss at all um, every tour I've been on has been MacBooks for, for playback as well. Oh, really? And one of the craziest tours, I always find it fascinating when bands have dedicated playback engineers. Like I've only been on two or three tours where I've seen that, but literally a guy just on the side of the stage near monitor world that his entire job. But the crazy thing about that is, um, 
I forgot what tour it was on, but the playback engineer had to work in real time because this band played to, tr- to to a click and to playback, but they vamped a lot and they went, they would extend bridges and all this. So this right. guy, this guy had to cut things and move things in real time and restart them for the band at the right time. And that was amazing to see like how in tune with the band that guy had to be to move all of that during a show. I don't know whether he's like a genius or he's just got like the hardest job in the world. That is, I'm actually trying to explain to someone like, all right, so what we're going to do is we're going to decide when we stop, when we change, and you're going to basically figure out the thing is that you also need the click to bring you back in. So like, Wow. Yeah, he's moving yeah. all that stuff in real time. It's crazy. And then, you know, our drummer for the band, the tour I was on last, like, he 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 would kind of do that, but he wasn't editing. He was just starting and stopping when they'd mm-hmm. extend bridges and stuff like that and counting bands back in. But this was, I mean, this was nuts. It was like, you know, somebody from the band would get in the talk back and be like, hey, on this on this next song, because the crowd is like really on fire, we're going to double the last chorus and let them sing. So I need you to double the chorus on the tracks. And he'd literally have to sit there on, on the fly in the moment, copy and paste, double that chorus for the tracks. So the tracks were still there. Man. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that is crazy. That's a crazy amount of like, uh, well, I suppose it ended up someone's job and it was like a lot of risk factor on the fly and a lot of so trust much. to be like, be able to just kind of yeah you know, with, with everything that we kind of do in terms of the tracks is pretty pre-programmed pretty kind of like figured out you know any extensions any kind of like dropouts and stuff you know and you stick to stick to stick to the code and hope for the yeah. best yeah but that's that's impressive stuff yeah but it's 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 crazy it's like the technology for live shows nowadays is so crazy like i did a tour once that didn't have a lighting director because they programmed all of their lights into their MIDI playback. Yeah. Like, yeah, that, that, to be fair, that's, it happens more and more as well. Like a lot of small bands are starting to get involved with like lighting rigs and stuff. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, you can do it. It's all, you know, if, if you got the time. And the same thing as well. Like, you know, you can also, you know, about MIDI playback, you can send MIDI playback cues from the foot controllers of like your helixes and axe effects and stuff which to send signals back out to like the laptops you can control out through your feet, which to me is mental. Yeah. I don't want that kind of responsibility in my feet. Nah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> nah. dude, it's, it's crazy, man. The technology has changed everything for touring and recording. It's, it's kind of crazy. Well, dude, I've had you here for a couple hours and I want to let you have a good Friday night. But before we go, uh, for anybody that's listening, I, I did just want to remind everybody that Deadlock did come out in February. I think it's a fantastic album. You did guys did a great job. Um, and then May 24th, touring kicks off. You got dates with Aviana, Spirit Box, Ice Nine Kills. I mean, dude. It's a bit silly when you say it. <laughs> dude, I mean, you guys are going to have a blast. It's just yeah, going to be so cool. I'm very, very excited. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, and this is only summer of the year. Yeah, you know I mean, this is three months after the album release. I'm very, very excited to see kind of what yeah. happens. Uh, but yeah, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate you Dude, taking of, the time out to have of, a chat. Of course. Before we go, I always like to ask this just for the people that listen. Um, for you, for somebody that's you know in the band and stuff, whether it's financial or not, or just sharing music or whatever, what would you say is like? some of the best things that people can do to help support either your band or their favorite bands, like right now in the time that we're in. 
Um, I mean, definitely merch is always the number one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, merch is the lifeblood of any band. Like, it gets invested directly back. All the music videos that were created, all the stuff, you know, that has been paid for solely with merchandise. So, you know, if you see it like that, if you like a band, if you buy some merch, not necessarily you just buying that T-shirt, you're buying the next music video. You're paying to make more stuff for you to enjoy. So, yeah, merch, just communicating with bands as well. Like, just a bunch of normal dudes. Having a conversation doesn't go amiss, you know. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's nice to get feedback and, yeah, it's just comment, buy some merch, and let's have a chat. That's awesome, man. That's I mean, that's a great way of putting that, actually with the merch i mean really people people i don't think realize that it's like everything that goes back into the band is just being put into something else that's going to get released at another time that's it you're not i mean you're not you're not paying with the merch you're not paying a label you're not paying us you know i mean we don't take a penny from the band like we've never taken a penny from the band that literally goes into making more content more music you know if you want us to record more songs quicker buy merch because then we'll have the money quicker to shoot the videos. We'll have money quicker to do all. It's the same thing. You know, like we get a lot of people asking us to come to America. We are, we're desperate to come play in America. Like that is number one on our list of things to do, you know, but the real, the reality of it is there's about a 30 grand overhead for us to come Mm -hmm. play in America. You know, the visas alone can cost you 1500 quid per person. Um, So, you know, if you want to help us do that, well, holler at your favorite bands, you know, make some noise about us, but also just, you know, help your band out, pick up, pick up some merch and all of that helps to help us help you help. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I mean, it's a great answer, man. And I mean, I, I I always like getting the different answers from bands because they're, they're often similar, Mm. but there's also different takes from everybody on it. Like you're the first person that's said it like that, where like anything that you put in merchandise wise goes back into stuff that we're putting out. And I think that's, that's important for people to hear. I mean, I, people ask me that all the time. They're like, what's the best way that I can support this band? I'm just like, I mean, that's why I like to ask that question because I like people to hear it from the actual bands, you know? So, but dude, yeah. I'm, I, I'm go ahead. Sorry. I was, no, it's all good, mate. It's all good. I was just going to say from the horse's mouth, I think, is it the, exactly. the expression. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they hear it from you, there's no other better person to hear it from. So, well, dude, I'm excited for you guys. I mean, if you're in Europe, definitely check out uh, Envision social media and tour dates. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, I'll have links below where you can follow along because May 24th, that tour is starting. Then there's summer festivals, all that good stuff. Lucas, can't thank you enough for being here and giving me some of your time. This was fun. This was fun to just sit and talk, man. Great, mate. Perfect. Thank you for having me on. It's awesome to chat with you. For sure. And if there's anything I can ever do to help you guys out, especially if you guys ever get to the States and need a hand with anything, I mean, feel free to ask. Well, hopefully, yeah. Hopefully that will be, uh, we'll definitely have to have some kind of meetup and some 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 alcohol free beers <laughs> yeah for sure man for sure so well dude have Amazing. a wonderful rest of your evening and uh thank you once again for your time man i appreciate Thanks it you, man. all right take care absolutely loved everything about that conversation and it was wild going back and editing it now because from the time we recorded again until editing and releasing it it's been about a month and i've just forgot how natural the conversation actually was and I really appreciate how open and real and honest Lucas was about everything. And 
you know, these are always fun getting to know these artists whose music I've heard, but I don't know anything about them other than the actual music, you know, and they've only been a band for five, six years now almost, and they're doing such cool things for a band that is currently unsigned and getting so much attention. And I just loved being able to nerd out over gear and relate from my band days to his now and just super awesome, man. So if anybody's listening and you enjoyed it, go check out their album, man. And if you like the band, feel free to support them in any way you'd like to. Like I said, you can go to envisionsofficial.com. Check out the latest news, the tour dates, the merchandise. And as Lucas said, merchandise is the lifeblood of a band. So that's always the best way to support these guys. But also, if you're in Europe, be on the lookout for their tour dates because they are still doing a bunch over the summer. I noticed some festivals on there. They've also got another tour that's coming up. So keep them busy, man. And that's the absolute best thing to do for a band. So one more time to Lucas. Thank you very much for giving us your time, especially on what was a Friday night. You could have been doing anything else, but decided to talk to me instead. So again, if you're watching on YouTube, check the description of the video. I'll have links to all of their social medias and their websites and stuff like that. And if you're still on YouTube, uh, you can follow me on social media as well. If you would like to keep up with whatever else I'm doing. Um, more reactions are always coming up on YouTube as well as original content. I stream on Twitch from time to time, which is always a blast with all of you guys because we do some fun stuff. And then if you want to keep up with more of my personal life and stuff like that, you can go on Instagram and tons of other social medias. And again, everything's linked in the description of the video. But if you're just listening on audio on Spotify, Google, Apple, or wherever else, uh, tank the tech is my handle on pretty much everything. So I'm not really that hard to find. And if you want to support this podcast or the channel, you could also go to tankthetechmerch.com. Get a piece of merchandise. It helps out future content and everything going on. And I also have a Patreon, which is extremely cheap if you would still like to contribute to the channel. And you get some perks with it too. One of the big ones is you get to see these videos and hear these podcasts a few days earlier than they would normally come out to the general public. But if you can't do any of those things, no big deal, man. Just know that you guys taking the time to listen to this content is more than enough for me. But that's going to wrap it up for episode 13 of this podcast. And I've got some other great ones coming up, man. We're going to have a podcast with Nick Nocturnal coming up in the future. We're also going to have another episode with Maria from Future Palace, which was another great conversation. So much more stuff coming. I'm excited to bring it to you guys. But... In the meantime, wherever you are in the world, stay safe, be kind to each other, and I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Back Lounge Podcast.